everybody. Good day, good day. Uh, and thank you for coming by another Merged Worlds Dungeons and Dragons story stream. Um, we will uh, get started here in a moment. I'll do a bit of a recap from where we left off, and then we'll move into the next section of the story. I always like to give just a couple minutes for stragglers to get logged in. Um, as always, I appreciate you coming by, whether you're listening or watching this today or watching it 10 years down the road. Uh, it's also available on Spotify and iTunes as an audio podcast. It would be awesome if you have a good time, if you wouldn't mind clicking the like button. Uh, if you're new here, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, Only Draven Gaming. Or if you're on Spotify or iTunes, give it a like, a star, a follow, a sub, a review, whatever it is on there. I can never keep up with it. <laughs> How long are we streaming today, Carbon? So today's stream is two and a half hours to three. Um, is normally what I try to keep it for Merged Worlds. Um, in order for the file to fit on Spotify and iTunes and not have to be broken up into multiple episodes, that's about as long as I can go. I think I, I think I hit three, hour, three hours and 20 minutes once and I had to break it into two. So I try not to do that if I can help it. Um, yeah, we'll start off uh, letting you guys know a little bit of uh, what I hope is good Merged Worlds news. Um, so this week I, uh, dedicated some time to sitting down and going through and rereading everything that is left in Merged Worlds, that I, that has been pre-written, that is already on paper, um, and has been actually played by the characters back in the day. Um, uh, and I have started putting pencil to paper with what is coming next. Um, it was pretty exciting to actually start putting some of these thoughts on. I've, I've taken little notes here and there, but actually start writing it uh, was pretty exciting. Uh, so I was really, uh, really happy to give that report. I've started putting it on paper. I'll be honest, there's, there's one thing, event or situation in the future of the story uh, that is paramount in its importance. Uh, and I've just struggled with exactly how to make it happen. So um, I've gone back and forth with different ways. And I think I finally figured out the best way <clears throat> to do it. As I like to used to tell my characters, when they say, will we be happy? I'd be like, I don't know about that. But I can tell you it'll be great for the story. Great for the story is not always great for them. Uh, but uh, the interesting thing, what I did is I sat down and I finally... Uh, did something I, I hadn't done ever before. I kind of named the section. So everything we're going through up until what was pre-written um, is one spot. And the stuff that I'm reading now, or that I'm writing now, the, the future of Merger Worlds, uh, that won't actually be played. That'll just be me writing and telling it as a story. It's basically the second full chapter of uh, this world's movements. So... It's kind of cool to give those sections actual names or titles. Um, and actually came up with the titles jamming to the um, the new playlist. I have a playlist that I'm writing to of songs that help motivate and inspire the right moods for the writing that I'm doing right now. So I was kind of excited. I got to name my playlist finally. But hello everybody. Let's see who's here. Quentin's here today. Aboot's here. Uh, Carbon. Jim and Teresa, hello all. Thank you so much for coming by. So let's dive on into the deep end, shall we? Um, in last week's episode, 
um, Serenity went to war. Um, what had been building up for years between uh, animosity between Serenity and the Empire of Oromon finally came to a head in what was the largest battle our players have ever had to be in. Ouch. Um, it was uh, definitely a challenge to DM. It gave me a lot of awesome opportunities to bring different characters together and have a little story snippet. So there's a lot of reading last week. This week we'll have a little, but not as much reading uh, as we move forward into the next phase of the story. Uh, but near the end of this war, as things were starting to look a little bleak, a uh, giant meteor-looking thing came from the sky and crashed into the ground, and standing there was, according to the cleric of time, a high-level cleric that was there, stated that the Keeper walks among us. This incredibly powerful uh, blue... Blue armor, blue runes. So that's the big thing. He's got blue and silver runes that glow. Big blue rune on the ground, a circle one that he was standing on after the crash. Basically, mushes a bunch of Oromon's soldiers, advising them that they need to retreat and never come back again. And to deliver the message to the Emperor uh, that he was coming for him. Oromon retreats, the Keeper approaches our heroes. Specifically, Mercy. Uh, the magical glowy flare around him flares down, so he looks more like a regular dude in a robe. And it turns out it is their old friend, Tobias. Um, Tobias, who was a mage, who had traveled with them many times. Started as a, a young farm farmhand boy, farm boy, farm man, whatever. That they helped get to the mage's tower. Worked his way up. Um, went through some hell of his own in Ormon as a prisoner. Year of torture, things like that. Saved by our heroes. And then traveled with them into the Sands, which is a outside of reality, outside of time, specific place that keeps a record of everything that has ever happened everywhere. That's multiverse, multi-world, multi-universe, whatever. Um... And when they were done with what they needed and they went to leave and come back, he stayed behind. But while they were there, he had a conversation with Mercy one night over a fire. That Mercy was the only other one who really hated the Emperor as much as he did. Uh, and that one day he was going to find a way to take out the Emperor. And when he does, he's going to need Mercy's help. And Mercy promised that when that day came, she would be there. And sure enough, Tobias now comes walking through the crowds of soldiers as they part for him. And he walks up to Mercy, smiles, and uh, asks her if she remembers her promise. She nods and he says, well, that time has come. Uh, together we are going to finally rid this planet of the filth that is the Emperor. Uh, and there was going to be a lot of work to do. So that's kind of where we left off, with him just giving that little, hey... I'm back. Tobias has been a character um, from the very beginning of Merge Worlds that I always intended to take to a special place. Um, he needed to have a path. He had to have his trials and tribulations. He had to go through certain things to get him there. Um, but he did. Um, and... 
doing a callback to the end battle um, with Nilat Firemoon. Long, long time ago, at the source in the center of the world almost. At the end of that, if you'll remember, our heroes opened the world so that the gods had access again. And as they walked through the gate to go back to their ship, they each had a moment to kind of meet their god and chat with them for a few moments. Uh, John Abrams says they're going to be... There is not. I'm sorry. Thursday nights is Merged Worlds D&D stream. I'll be back tomorrow night for... Uh, another block of Minecraft. Um, but uh, everybody went through that portal, and when they did, they all had an opportunity to kind of speak to their gods, the gods who chose them, the gods who touched them at the moment of their existence, uh, coming into existence, which unlocked their potential. And many of the NPCs that we that are now running around with our characters probably are touched as well. Um, but when everybody went through and spoke to their god, Tobias was shocked to find that he did not stand before the god of magic who he devoted his life to. Instead, he found himself standing before Kiera, or Kiara, goddess of time. And it was she who had unlocked his potential, um, even though she at the time did not know exactly why. Um, but at this point, she... Uh, started his path. He made an agreement with her. She made an offer, I should say. And if he was to accept it, he had he was to return to the sands. And so when he went back with them, he knew that meant he was accepting that offer. Which we'll talk into a little bit, because he, he gives them some of that information as we move on. <clears throat> so, as they're standing there here in this field, the Wounded are still being cared for. Artemis and all the other clerics are running around trying to save everybody they can. Um, all the clerics and such. And uh, people trying to help all the injured as much as they can or gather, put to peace the ones they could not. After a war like this, there's you know you just don't wagon up a thousand corpses. You know what I mean? It's usually going to be a large pyre. That type of thing is going to be taken care of. Um, Mercy's lieutenants and knights will basically deal with that kind of business. There were a few incidents and injuries. Uh, nobody major died in here. There were several injuries. Uh, let's see. Um, actually, Weston the, uh, Weston the Paladin lost one of his brothers in the battle. Um, his, his brother had uh, you know, gone into an unwinnable situation in order to save others and gave his life in the service of the light. So while the uh, paladins are sad for his loss, they you know, also uh, overly respect his final actions uh, dedicated to the light. So standing there with all this, you know, the other eventually the other characters, you know, make their way to mercy too. It's kind of easy to see the glowy guy walking towards Mercy. So wherever they were on the battlefield, people start making their way that direction. And uh, after a few minutes, most of the main characters are there. Artemis is not. She's off healing people. She's got stuff to do. But Dandy and Darsh are there. Um, and speaking with Mercy, he's like, um, you know, he's kind of smiling and he looks at her and 
he looks like he's a couple years older. It's been a year or two since he's, they've actually seen him at this point. Um, maybe three, to be honest with you. you know, they've had kids and such since then. Um, married and all that kind of business. Uh, but they're, uh, they're kind of smiling and, and he just, he's kind of, you know, embraces her. He's, he's happy to see her kind of thing. He legit is. And he's, he looks at her and he's, uh, he's like, wow, I can't, you look, you look the same. It's been so long. And she goes, yes, it's been a very long and trying three years since we've seen you. And he just smiles and shakes his head. And he's like, what was three years for you was 748 years for me. It is been almost 750 years I've lived since I last saw you. Um, although time is nearly meaningless in the sands. He made an agreement with Kiara, goddess of time, that he would have unlimited access to the sands. He would have access to sections of the sands which are not available to everyone. He would, uh, and that she would help guide him towards knowledge and situations and things that he sought. Because he has the, the primary goal of just obliterating the Emperor of Ormond. It's basically his one life goal. And she's like, I will help you towards that. I will give you the tools you need and the knowledge you need to have a chance at success. I cannot guarantee anything. I don't control that. Um, but I can give you what you would need to do so. In return, you will take on the mantle as Keeper of the Sands. Um, basically a position that will make him protector of time itself, of, of the sands as such, and people who might try to abuse it. Um, as such, he will basically live a very long time, or forever. Um, but once he completes this goal on, on, on this new world, merged worlds, once he, uh, win or lose, if he wins, he comes away from it, uh, then he will no longer actively concern himself with the uh, lives of uh, this world and will then dedicate the remainder of his time uh, to protecting the sands, which, you know, I'm sure comes with managerial duties. Yeah, there's, I told you there's the librarians there. Got to look over them, protect them. People do make it in and out. Um, he will be a very high, high... Well, he's not technically a cleric of time. He's still a mage. Uh, with incredibly powerful time magic. So, um, there said. So, you can understand why the high-level cleric of uh, <laughs> the paperwork he will do. That is correct. And hello, Emil. <laughs> um, so much paperwork. In a world of books. Sans just novels, right? Um, so, he's here to take care of that. Now, um, he says that he believes he, he has a way for them to be successful. It has taken him centuries of searching. And he has mastered a form of magic lost to time. It's a form of magic using specific runes and their connections. Uh, he's basically, that's one reason why there's all the runes where he is and the runes of magic um, or how he casts a lot of his spells. There's at this point, no living being other than he who's ever, who has mastery of this. He's dedicated centuries to doing so. 
And it's given him some pretty powerful mojo magic. Um, uh, <laughs> some of you may, uh, may have clicked a connection to something in the past. I'd be intrigued to know uh, if anybody, now that I'm saying this, if this is clicking anything from something that happened in the, earlier in the story. I'll give it a bit, and then I will explain it, see if anybody comes up with it. But, uh, but even with this new powerful magic, <clears throat> the Emperor is no slouch, and he has access to a lot of power himself, and warriors, and powerful clerics of Pandora, and he has the favor of Pandora, just like um, Tobias has, relatively, the favor of Kiara. So... I mean, it's not a guaranteed win by any means. It's a god's head minion versus a god's head minion kind of a thing. And he's like, I can't do it alone. He has a lot of resources. We're going to need a lot of resources. There are things we will have to do in order to be successful. The runes. Yes, Ashley. Which runes would you be referring to, I would ask? <clears throat> um, but... Uh, Yes, there are things that are going to have to be done, preparations that are going to have to be made before they're going to be able to move forward directly against the Emperor. Um, let's see what I got here. And time will be short, because now that he's initiated this, this path has uh, everybody started walking on it, um, there will... You know, there's a timeline. <laughs> As a guy who knows time, he goes, things are going to start to move quickly. Our enemies will move against us. We're going to uh, try to stop. They're going to be trying to, you know, they know I'm coming. There was no way I could keep that. I mean, I, I, I told them anyways, but they were going to know, I mean, uh, stepping in here, they were going to know this was happening. So they're going to be working hard and fast to consolidate their resources as well. And Ashley is exactly correct. The ones in the dreams, um, even through the power of the nightmare circlet, Tobias was able to break through and help them or guide them through the use of the rune magic, blue runes. Um, even then, I was plan I I had the Tobias stuff written long before we got to that, so I knew that I wanted there to be signs that he was powerful, that he was already breaking into something as powerful as the Nightmare Circle, which in itself is an incredibly powerful artifact, and he's breaking through the Dream Void from outside of time. So. Um, just to give an example of how powerful the rune magic is. But while he's here on the planet, <clears throat> on regular Merge World, he's still a human dude. You know, age at regular age. You know, all of his true power and stuff is within the sands. Within the sands, he's basically, for all intents and purposes, he's a Zoltan. He's, he's close to a demigod in power, but only in the sands. <clears throat> Kiara has basically provided him all of that power whenever he's in that realm. Um, so the, uh, here he's regular, he still has knowledge of the magic and the power he's learned over time, but he is mortal and he could die here. And if he dies, Kiara's out of sidekick, right? But, <laughs> but overall, you know, that's hopefully not the goal. Uh, Jim helped, but he's holding the puppy down so I can eat down. <laughs> ah, Jim, eagle eye Jim. I love it. So... Uh, Tobias is human. That is correct. Tobias is human. But with the power given to him, basically the blessings of Kiara, I've mentioned before that in the sands, people age differently. Um, Lamia went from really old to really young. You know, she went to like 18 to 21 years old looking, even though she was in her like 60s and such, 70s, uh, when she went in there. 
Um, people don't have control of how time ages them in there. The Sands has that. He can control that. He In the Sands, he basically has control of the Sands. He can go anywhere he wants. He has the knowledge of where everything is. He's kind of like the master librarian, if you will. It'd be a great way to say that. He's the master librarian with knowledge of everything that goes on in there. And no one comes in or out of the Sands without him knowing. Doesn't mean he can stop them from coming in. Artifacts like the ones the heroes use to come into the sand, still work. He can't block the sands off. It's not meant to work that way. But anyone coming in the sands trying to abuse it or destroy it or attack anything within it, people who bring um, violence into the sands, it's his job to deal with that. So let's say the heroes had gone in and the emperor had gone in and was trying to fight them in the sands. He'll step in. And there, there's not much anybody's other god is going to be able to do. Kiara reigns completely over the sands. Uh, and as her general, if you will, right hand in the sands, he's overwhelmingly powerful. But the second he pops out of the sands, he's just a really powerful mage, but he's still a human dude, you know? Dead. You know, <laughs> it's kind of that thing. Um, so he coming back, anytime he returns to this world, he takes that gamble. Which is one reason why he probably won't, if ever, maybe never, but maybe might, do that ever again, but maybe he will. Probably not. It could happen. Probably won't happen. It's probably going to happen. So, down the road, if he survives, which he might. We don't know yet. Hope that was confusing. I tried to make it so. Uh, but yes, he is human here. In there, he's more. He basically takes on the essence of a demigod. Um, Zoltan walking in there would be less powerful than him because it's Kiara's realm. Um, but Zoltan's that powerful everywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Zoltan's that powerful here. And if he was to go to any of the other gods' zones specifically, it's a little different. But on any prime material plane, Zoltan's still a demigod. That's just the essence of who he is. He was never a mortal person. He has always been. Um, so, again, he says together, they have to work together, but time is short. There are arrangements he's going to be need to make, and there are things he's going to need to do. He tells them that they will need to return home to Serenity and wait. He will send. He will come or send for them when it is time. Um, but he understands, you know, you just had a major war. You've got stuff to take care of. And there are arrangements I'm going to have to make. Things I'm going to have to do. But watch for me and watch for my signs. Uh, because there are steps that you'll be involved in to, uh, in, to help uh, prepare for this epic final battle. Which, I mean, I think many people understand this is this is that what that is. This is the finally bringing the heroes in against the Emperor. Much like they had their final confrontation with Nylat Firemoon, that's what this is planned to be. Is it successful? We don't know. But that's what it's planned to be. This is supposed to be them finally going in one way or another, having some type of resolution with Ormon. Or at least the Emperor of Ormon. Um, now... The Cleric of Time is standing there. She's just in awe of this dude. You, you understand that it's... Uh, oh, it's okay, Carbon. No worries, man. Um, another interesting thing about the Keeper, a power of Tobias, is that he has just recently become the Keeper. But he's been the Keeper for 750 years in his life. But at the same time, he's in the history books of being the Keeper for thousands upon thousands of years. Because in the sands, time is irrelevant. It's outside of time. He has always been the keeper. He has yet to be fully become the keeper. It's kind of that thing. So 
Clerics for generations of time have always known the whispers of the keeper of the sands, uh, keeper of time, that one being chosen by Kiara um, to basically said, protect all that is uh, and protect the timelines. That's his goal. So they've always known about it. So for him to be standing there, that's like an all-powerful person that's existed for millions of years. Uh, to mercy in them, hey, that's that farm boy that hitched a ride on our wagon. <laughs> it's kind of a, I love messing with time. Uh, there's one thing that um, consistently I mess with in merge worlds, and most people have probably picked up on it by this point. Um, two things that always bugged my PCs. Two things that they uh, knew I was in favor of just making a hassle, and one was time. Um, some good examples of that is when they were at the source and found out that that loop of time had gone hundreds, if not thousands of time until it successfully worked correctly. Um, and then dealing with the sands itself. Um, but I also really love prophecy. There's a lot of prophecy and fate and things in these stories, um, which never really started. Uh, the prophecy stuff started to come a little bit later, but really, really r ran the line. Draven's prophecy probably was the first big part of that. And that introduced Shastra the prophet and then prophecy and legend, all that stuff kind of built up over time. Um, but prophecy and time are two things uh, that I love messing around with that usually the characters are not big fans of. Um, but he says, return to Serenity, take care of what you need, be prepared for my return, because uh, we'll have serious mojo to deal with. Um, he then speaks to the Cleric of Time, remember, powerful lady, and Edwin, his old apprentice, is there, and he goes to both of them, he goes, you both will come with me. Edwin's like, oh, okay. Like he's, you know, was unexpected. Lady of Time is like, oh, yes, sir. No worries there. Um, and then Tobias turns to the two elven guards. You remember, there's two really, really skilled, never talk elven Templars of time there. Um, they don't say much, um, but they are incredibly skilled. Even though we've yet to see much of that, they've got some pretty skills on him. He turns to them and says, you will remain here and you will protect Lady Artemis as you would have protect one of mine. And they don't question it. They're like, okay. Oh, a direct order from the Keeper is basically the goddess of time telling you to do something. You do it if you're a worshiper. If you're not a worshiper, you probably still want to do it. They say, okay, and don't even turn. They're like, they just nod. They don't say anything, of course, because they never talk. But they nod, they turn, and they just go walking towards where the injured are. Like, okay, that's our job now. And they're going to take care of Artemis, which Mercy and them are like, that's odd. But at the same time, boy, that's helpful. That's <laughs> happened to some really good guards. Like Lucas, probably not going to be super unhappy that there's two overwhelmingly skilled time Templars protecting Artemis, which is a big thing to him. Um, but it also immediately worries Mercy. Because what does he know? Why, do, why is it not stay here and protect them? Protect Dandy, protect the kids. Go protect Artemis. You know, like they're, why? But she knows better than to ask. You know what I mean? Because he's probably not going to tell her. So it's, uh, that, that, that definitely for both the young ladies who played Artemis and who played Mercy, who played all the characters, both of them immediately saw that as a red flag. They're like, why? 
Why do we need them? Which is great. I mean, that as as an as, as a DM, I'm like, excellent. You, you're catching some of these things I'm laying down, you know? Because I love when something sneaks through, like the blue runes, which don't mean anything, but it's a great callback when it finally pays off at the end. And some things are definitely a step where they're like, okay, my character would notice this just like I've noticed this. And that, in the story, my character is going to benefit, probably or hopefully, from this knowledge. So, um... I always like it when they pick up on some of those signs. Uh, so they, they're off. Um, he wishes Mercy well. Says you know she had a lot. He will re he will uh, he will reach out to her as soon as possible. And he puts his arms kind of around Edwin and uh, the cleric lady, whose name I keep forgetting. I apologize. It's it's around here somewhere. Um, Aliana, Aliana's name. Puts his name around Aliana and Edwin and. They basically, it's, it's almost like they spins real quick and they they just turn into sand, like a little tiny thing of sand. I, this is going to sound like a bad example. In my mind, uh, the Michael Jackson's Do You Remember the Time video. This is an old one, but in it he turns into sand. He puffs and it just turns into something sand and hits the ground. That's very much what I pictured here. Uh, that was the inspiration for that move. I, I've always loved that from that music video. Yes, I enjoyed Michael Jackson back in the day. Don't judge me. Or judge me, I don't care. Uh, but he, uh, there's there's a just a special effect that at the time was cutting in special effects. And he just does this spin thing where he just turns into sand and disappears. Um, and that's kind of what the, he does here. Turns into That's his way of basically teleporting. It's part of his rune magic. And it's kind of a cool signature thing as the keeper of the sands. I just thought it'd be cool. Um, I would love to see art of that someday, like him turning into that. I need to eventually sit down with Shadow or somebody who has time and have them draw specific sequences from the story that I could put up. Uh, but that would be one I'd like. So he does that and poof, he magics out of there and everybody's like, ooh, that's, even the mages uh, battle mages have like, that's different. I don't know a spell that does that. That's different, you know. Um, and many of them were like, oh, you have a new kind of magic that only he knows and probably not going to share with anybody. Um, but that all said, um, in fact, just as a as a brief hint, the way I wrote this down, we'll gather cleric and mage, and we'll Michael Jackson into sand. I, at the time, that was the inspiration. Like I even had, I didn't realize I had that written in paper. Um, but that's what happens. So Mercy and them are on the on this battlefield for a couple of days. You just there's injured. They got to make sure Ormond doesn't come marching back. There's stuff to deal with. Mercy's not one to leave her injured. So many of the Knights and stuff are going to be escorting people back. Um, she has basically a tent erected there. She and Ulrich uh, are staying there the first day. Then Ulrich returns and she stays on the field to oversee everything there while Ulrich is back home organizing everything. Um, during that time, they meet with the um, High Thane of the Dwarves, uh, who they think ungodly, and uh, keep saying, yes, we're definitely going to you know, pay you for those weapons and stuff. And they're like, we'll worry about that later. Uh, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to finally put our hammers into something's head. I mean, kind of that bluntly. Like, thank you for giving us the chance to finally go to war. Because it's something, you know, like I said, they've, got that, they've had that pent-up aggression of a kingdom they couldn't take back themselves. And now they got to help those people. So the dwarves, uh, this is important to them. They're going to go home. They'll have many battle stories. And yes, some lost. There was some death. But the High King and Cole both survived. Yes, Cole was in the battle as well. Even though I didn't have a snippet for him. Like Nathalian was there. But I didn't have a snippet for him. I didn't have a snippet for everybody. You know, I didn't do all of the knights. Right? You know, I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. So, 
Um, that happened. So they, Mercy oversees this. Artemis stays there the first night as well. She has a tent, uh, which is now protected by two elves uh, who either work in shifts or just stand there. As elves, they technically don't need to sleep and for some reason sleep a lot less than even regular elves do. A lot of times they'll be up for days at a time before one will go off to take a few hour break. And it, no one, they can't say why, they don't ever talk. No one even knows if they can talk. They've never spoken a word. They always see nod yes kind of thing. They take orders uh, from Artemis at this point, just like they took orders from Aliana. At this point, she's like, hey, I need you to go stand at my bedroom door. You know, they don't have, they're not like we have to be up the whole time. She can be like, okay, I'm going to go church, go rest, go get something to eat. And they'll be like, okay, fine. Because they'll know, okay, you've got Lucas and 50 Templars around you. You're okay for a couple minutes. We'll go just as they would have done with Aliana. They're still got to eat and stuff. Um... So again, they, this kind of happens. Uh, there is, of course, as much of recovery of weapons and armor as possible. Even that stuff of Oromon. Because again, remember, all those elites are walking around with magical weapons. And it's safe to say there were probably some lieutenants, some commanders, even just regular soldiers who have a magic ring of their grandpas or something of that nature, an amulet. Uh, so the mages and clerics are also scouring the field, finding anything of value, of power of that nature. <clears throat> if it belonged to someone from... Serenity, they do their very best to return it to them. If it's someone from Ormon, they take it. Um, at which anything of magical whatever, um, like regular magic stuff, like weapons, any magical swords and things, those are given to Serenity for the Serenity army. The battle mages will identify them, they'll verify exactly what they are, those will then be repurposed, because you're not going to waste that stuff, um, if it's repurposable. Anything else, rings, amulets, whatever, all of that, all of that stuff, goes to the mage tower. Uh, there's a, there's a decent amount of it. They're going to have to identify it, find out what's dangerous. Is any of it trapped? Because that could happen. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of that's how that stuff's divided. Uh, anything of value, wealth, um, at that point also goes to Serenity. At which point they will probably use it to help pay for funerals and all that kind of stuff. So um, all of that stuff is taken care of. Mercy had a lot of things to deal with at the end of the battle she'd never had to deal with before and wasn't expecting it when I threw at her. She's been spending so much time preparing for the battle, never crossed her mind she'd have a bunch of work afterwards. But she did, and she did a good job with it. Um, during this time, uh, let me see, Devin lost a finger, Seth has a big scar on his scalp, uh, he got cut in the head pretty bad. He was healed by a lower cleric, which was able to heal him, but the scar didn't completely go. He didn't have time for that. He's back in the battle. Um, Draven, hailed as a hero by both Dabs and Magali, uh, Magana, who the other two, uh, the other uh, town uh, mayor, um, who fought with him, he survived. They fought back-to-back -back with Draven for a while. So uh, Draven, uh, hailed by a hero at this point in the story, um, because of his actions and interactions with so many people, and every, there's, there's going to be hundreds of people with stories of, and I was going to die until this white-haired dude showed up and slaughtered five people, and suddenly I was okay again. Uh, there's going to be a lot of those type of tales. Uh, Draven will become part folklore, part uh, hero, to the point that he is now freely able to move around Serenity and the surrounding towns without any real issues. That discomfort of not feeling you know, quite open about that and kind of keeping to himself. Uh, that is pulled, it takes time. It's not all immediately, but he does start becoming more active in the such. He's more active in the temple. So we come in and out as such. And he starts spending more time actually living at the temple at this point. Uh, 
Um, let's see. Frank, also hailed by hailed as a hero. He and he and Quan come walking out of this thing uh, hand in hand kind of thing, and uh, he did really really well. Uh, Seamus was only hurt a little bit, but Miyasha uh, was able to take care of that. So then, then she like, smacks him for 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 putting himself in danger and all that kind of thing. Um, the dwarves uh, stay for an additional night there because you know, they help provide security, but then they march home and go right through the realm gate back. They're not going to hang around at this point. They've done what they came to do uh, and did it successfully. Uh, good day, Paul. Uh, and share to Twitter, I off spoilers. <laughs> Paul doesn't like to stay long in case I say something. Uh, he, he's been an episode or two behind or something. He always watches these a little bit later uh, when he's working, so... He hates getting spoilers, which I understand and I appreciate. Thank you, Paul. So, um, yeah, there's that. So, they go back to Serenity. After a couple days, things are done. Uh, large pyre and such done there. The clerics oversee that. Some families you know, show up and want to take their family member home with them, to, to bury them wherever and such, uh, whenever that's possible. Uh, Mercy oversees the cost of that, regardless. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 the crown, if you will, pays for all that kind of stuff. And, uh, again, this is another great thing that people love about Mercy. Anything that's happened, it's like, hey, we want to take as much stress off of you as we can. We're going to finance it. Because, again, they still all pay taxes. I mean, there's that kind of stuff. That's what you'd want to have done with your taxes, to take care of its people, wouldn't you, in a perfect world? So, <laughs> not to make any comments on anything else there. Um, but they go back and they start dealing with those things. Of course, they're happy to get home and see their children, right? Always excited about that. Um, Tevin had stayed behind to look after the children, so of course, they're always back. Kids are happy to see them, although most of the kids are babies at this point, right? Um, Darsh's kids are back home. So they're the only ones that really weren't in danger here. Um, but we have Seraph, who I was working out the timeline. At this point, Seraph would be close to four or five years old. Is what I'm having on the timeline, based on, on, on how everything worked. Um, at this point, Petal is almost 11 months because well, artist artist had artist was born two months after pedal and then like six months went by before the actual war so um, you could say pedals probably about eight months um, or no sorry artist is eight months and pedal is around 10 or 11 months so seraph is a good three to four years older than the girls and Darsh's kids are a year older than pedal the twins are he had another child who was just born who's right about uh the same age as actually that third child is younger than even artists is they were just born within the past month before he left kind of thing just giving an approximate age of the children right so darcy's kids are like a year year and a half or probably they're a year older than pedal pedal is two to three months older than artists so just to give you an idea of what the children's ages are, because as these guys move forward through time in the story, the children will be addressed. I have to age them as well. So when I say, Seraph is now 10, you'll know, okay, that means Darcy's kids. So I'm keeping track of that timeline, much as I did back then. I wish I'd have found that paper with that. So I had a, I had a paper where it was all mapped out, but I can't find that anywhere. 
they head back to Serenity. Um, now, over the last year, while they've been prepping for battle and war, a lot of other things had gone on. Regular kingdom stuff, right? Um, building borders, building forts. And while she's been spending all this time building up defenses of Serenity, she's also building Serenity's infrastructure, which is a weird thing to talk about probably in Dungeons & Dragons, but if you ever play a character high enough who wants to have a kingdom or something, this is something that you may address, depending on your dungeon master. Um, she has a kingdom. You know what a kingdom needs? Sewer. Uh, so the dwarves were hired to come in uh, and build a sewer system underneath Serenity. You think about it, how you build a sewer system under a city that's already there? Well, if there's anybody who can do it, it's the dwarves. They live in digging. So building supports and such and putting that in, doing sections at a time, uh, they've been working on that now for over a year as well. So again, as Serenity is booming in size, and it really is, it is booming in size. Uh, not only because of the benevolence of mercy and, and people know that they're not getting tons and tons of uh, uh, you know, taxes. They're fairly taxed. They're being protected, even though you know, wars happen everywhere. No, where, no matter where you go, you're going to deal with fighting somehow, right? Um, but overall, protection here is good. Benevolence, a lot of good businesses are popping through here. The fact that the dwarves are coming through and providing goods to Serenity means a lot of other businesses uh, Maybe moving here, wanting to ship in and out and move back and forth to Paxawal, things of that nature. Uh, cities grow, you need more stores, more inns. Uh, now you need a logging company that's going to be working in there. You're going to need, we already got the mine who does the cutting of stone, but now you need jewel crafters. All these businesses pop up, and as these people pop up, that's more people living here. More people move here to live here, more business is needed. So the, the city is going through a huge boom in a very small period of time. Unnaturally large boom. Um, and you could say that's just because of the nature of mercy combined with what Artemis is offering, an incredibly powerful temple dedicated to the good gods, uh, who also does not seem to have any money problems helping anyone who needs it. You know, that's, that's a great combo to have, you know, this is probably not going to be an evil king or queen if they're hanging out with a really phenomenally loyal, holy member of the clergy, right? So... This has caused a lot of people to swell, which has caused some growing pains for Serenity. As I mentioned, there's a lot of north of Serenity, north of Serenity Lake, was a lot of woods all the way to the north. A huge forest. And a big swath of that was cut out to put in the Mage Tower, which is on now on the north side of the lake. Um, but they're having to... The city's having to grow north as well. And they never really wanted to go that far into the woods. They liked the concept of woods. But as wood and lumber are needed, these things happen. So the city is growing in all directions. Um, primarily east and west. Because that's where the smaller towns are. So as people are coming in and out, buildings are growing in between those. And in between Serenity and this town. Or something of that nature. Blacksmith in between. So it's, it's growing. And I, I want to stress that. Because a lot of big things are going on. So the sewer is already, half the city is built, the other half is under construction. There's a large amount of dwarves working on it. It was costing Mercy and Artemis, who's also chipping in for this because it goes towards the whole kingdom, uh, a lot of money. This, this cost more than building the keep um, because there were a lot of dwarves working on that. Prodigy, uh, will be tomorrow night at 9.30 p.m. Uh, Fridays and Saturdays, I'm at 9.30 at night. I'll be back for some more uh, Sky Factory. Thank you for the question. So, why does this matter? I'm just trying to give you an example of how the city is growing, right? There's going to be storehouses, warehouses, businesses are going to start coming in. 
Uh, maybe merchants want to start talking about a merchant's guild, right? These are things that Mercy has to oversee and make sure that no one's taking advantage of other people, right? Make sure that everything's falling. She has to come up with new laws to handle new situations. Um, which, of course, she has her knights and Ulrich to help a lot with as well. So all of that's kind of going on. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to that later. They're back home. They're dealing with the loss of those they've loved. People, some of the, some of the different towns, people will come to Serenity, relax for a day or so before going all the way home. Maybe someone will just go straight home. Just kind of depends on the money situation, whether they want to get home and what, they're, what kind of shape they're in. But after a couple of days, most everyone has moved on back to where they're from, um, other than the large amount of still people who are have received some heals but aren't completely well. You know, I mean, there's not enough clerics to heal every wound. So, you know, regular medicine takes place as well. So there's some, the temple is still pretty overcrowded uh, with a lot of folks. Um, adults, specifically. Not a lot of kids injured in there. There are some kids that live there. And this is one other thing I almost forgot to mention. Um, at this point, uh, there is a section of the temple that is dedicated... Uh, a small section, because it's not huge yet, as an orphanage, because these things happen. Especially after a war like this, it's possible someone's only parent has passed away. And while a lot of times the smaller towns may take care of that themselves, in Serenity, if there's no one else, the last thing Mercy's going to have is kids living on the street. No problem, Quentin. Thanks for coming by, sir. Have a good day. You know, so Artemis is kind of overseeing that at this point, and... Um, dealing with that and in, is in talks of building something that would be an orphanage but would be overseen by the temple, not Mercy. Uh, it's something that Artemis feels felt pretty strong about and so it's something that she and Mercy talked about and that she was going to take the lead on. She was going to put that on the edge of what was temple lands because the temple has its lands itself and then there's like a swath around it that no one else is allowed to build on. You know what I mean? Like, these are still lands that belong to the temple, even though they haven't developed them yet. There's room for them to do so. That was always planned that way um, when it was built. Because Mercy has everywhere else. It's a whole kingdom. But Artemis has a chunk of land that is dedicated to the temple. Um, that belongs to her. So there's a section of the kids at the orphanage. Things like that. Just kind of give an idea of what Serenity is like through this growing boom. So we talked a lot about the preparation for war, but I didn't get to talk a lot about the city stuff. But this stuff will be important later. I would not be wasting your time with it if it was not. Right? So. A couple weeks go by. There's no word. There's no nothing. Um, things are starting to settle down. Um... Warriors and such uh, here at the keep have been dispatched to go and reinforce the border. That happened earlier. Uh, so a lot of soldiers stayed behind at the border until they were fully sure that no one was going to make a second attack, right? Because you got to be careful. I mean, I'm going to back off and attack again. Uh, Quan put several of his shadows in the field uh, to kind of go and follow and keep an eye on that and make sure of that. Um, and while it's too soon to have them report back yet, they haven't received any reports of yeah, they're coming back kind of thing. You'd think they'd run into that and come back quickly. So everything seems to be good on that on that front. Uh, Mercy's even taken one day where she flew back up there on her griffin to check in on things and then fly home. Um, but it seems that the border at this point has become a quiet place. There's no uh, threat at this point. Which is allowing Serenity uh, to really step into almost a time of celebration. They won the war. 
there's most people didn't think they would. So uh, there's a lot of people in there that are with the first few back, even though there's a lot of loss and death and sadness, there was still a lot of special stuff, right? So uh, celebrations and things. Uh, Mercy did have a big, give a big speech in front of everybody, like a, a, a speech about everybody who gave their lives and such. Artemis gave a prayer, kind of like a, a public funeral, even though they didn't have all the bodies there, but kind of like a public funeral for all that gave and such. And at the end, everybody cheers because Mercy gives a heroic speech that somebody else wrote for because Mercy hates that stuff. Um, but that all goes down. They get, uh, you know, this is all done within the first week, but the second week, they get to relax a little bit for the first time. While they're worried, you know, they're going to have to deal with the Emperor, all this stuff going on, they have a moment to breathe, which is kind of nice. Then about that time, uh, almost exactly two weeks after this time, Mercy's in her private rooms. It's a knock on the door, and she opens. and Because um, Mercy has a private room. I should mention that. Um, the design of the keep, which I have maps of. And if you guys want to see what the keep looks like and the temple looks like, I have maps of that. I could put that up if anybody wants to see it. I, you know, I should have asked about that a long time ago. I even have some diagrams of what Darsh's first ship, the Morgenstern, looks like. Those I can dig out if anybody wants to see those. Let me know. I'll put them in the Discord or something. Um, but I have, uh, yes, so she has a, you go in through her room to her room and there's a common area, like a living room area, kind of such. And there are several rooms off of that. Uh, one is Mercy's bedroom. There's a second room that would be, um, Artis's room. At this point, her crib is still in Mercy's room, but there's a room for her. And there are two other rooms that are basically spare rooms that a lot of times, someone of importance is visiting, they may stay in those quarters. Someone close, like, you know, if Darsh was visiting or Dandy or something before Dandy had a house. Uh, it's always been there just in case Mercy has more children, right? She, well, plan for the future. You build a house. You don't know how many she's going to have. Um, so there's rooms there, but uh, two of the rooms are basically spare rooms that don't do much. There's... Um, in the primary room, which is the big fireplace, several big comfy chairs and couches, a lot where Mercy entertains her friends for just something very private or hang out with knights or it's just her and Ulrich in the room. There's also desks in there where her and Ulrich can work while they're, in theory, watching the kids play kind of thing. So um, this common room, you go into it first from the main hallway and then there's a room with rooms that can only be accessed through that one door. Uh, it's defensively that way, so that way if anyone is trying to take in the castle, that's one door Mercy and everybody inside there has to defend to protect everybody inside. It was set that way on purpose. Is there a secret passageway outside of the castle? I was asked this in a question recently, and I will say yes, there is. When the castle was built... There is a secret passageway built from Mercy's area that goes down... Because remember, this is up on a, on a kind of a cliff thing that overlooks the water, right? And then the land comes down, there's a road one, and it goes up to it. Um, that winds down through the rock and actually exits right at the water level on the lake. Secret door you'd never find from outside. There's moss and such all over it. It's always meant to be an emergency escape for the royal family. Um, but it, the door itself opens relatively wide. It's dwarven built, after all. And inside are a couple of small boats that could be pushed out onto the water. Opening the door would cause some water to rush in. It's a way for them to escape should they need to. I will have you know, in all of the time we've played this, 
It's never been used. So I'm not telling you this because it's going to happen. But that doesn't mean it won't eventually. So there's that. Put them up on the website. Yeah, I can do that. I can put. I should. I can start putting up some of the maps and diagrams on there. I need. I can put them on the Instagram as well. The Merge World Instagram. That might be a cool idea. Uh, so, I will do that. I will work on getting some of the maps up for people to see uh, as we, as we move into the future here. But it's been two weeks. And there's a knock on the door. Um, and Mercy goes and answers it. You know, Ulrich's there, probably holding artists. Uh, chilling with her, sitting on the couch chatting. It's uh, early morning. They've probably already eaten. Food's brought up to the room for them here most of the time. Um, the knights all have their own homes. The only ones that actually live in the keep right now um, are Flynn, who was always a squire and just didn't have a house, and he's working on it. Um, and the second one uh, is... Quan, who's also in the process, he had a small home he was staying in, but he's building it. Um, oh, and I forgot to talk about Seamus. I'll tell you about Seamus a little later. How much does it cost you to rent a domain for the website? The domain itself wasn't too bad. I want to say the domain was like just getting the domain and holding it. I paid like less than 10 bucks a year. Um, but to pay for the hosting of it, I use Squarespace. For the hosting, there are multiple different price tiers. As low as, like I think, $12 or $13, as high as $40 or $50 a month, depending on what you want to have access to. Like on mine, I have an online store, so I have to have above the basic tier to have access to some of those options within my website. Um, I use Squarespace. highly recommend them. Uh, they're very usually friendly. Again, they're not a sponsor of this. I just like them. Uh, but Squarespace, I've used a couple before Squarespace. Squarespace has been the best one I've used. Um, so I do recommend checking them out. Uh, domains, just to get... I had a domain. When I first got OnlyDraven.com, I didn't get it through Squarespace. I just, I think GoDaddy or something like that. I went there and did a check. It was available. I got it. I paid 10 bucks, and every year I had to pay 10 bucks just to hold it. Um, just to have it. So it wasn't a lot just to have the domain. Um, developing it and hosting it, that's a whole other business. Um, especially when I want to put the store into it, hosting the podcast. A lot of that stuff takes some extra stuff. But uh, for a basic website, it's really affordable. Highly recommend Squarespace. You check them out. Lord, I should see if they have an affiliate program. I'll sign up for it. <laughs> so anyways, the knock on the door. Uh, it is uh, her young new squire, whose name I don't have written down, but I mentioned it before. Uh, I'll dig that up again. Um... And so, uh, they open the door, and it's a guard with a message. Or, sorry, it's him with a message saying that uh, someone has arrived at the keep and is asking to speak to Mercy. Um, and while normally they would be like, do you have an appointment kind of thing, um, this is someone unusual that they felt it was important Mercy meet. She's like, okay. So, she gets up. Ulrich, um... You know, the baby's napping or whatever. He decides to go down with her. Uh, the young lad and the five guards standing outside uh, are going to watch over the baby for a little bit. Uh, I built the website myself. I didn't pay anyone to do it better. Uh, I, I designed mine myself. It's still stuff i got to work on. I'd like to make it better. But, yeah, I, I've done all of it myself over time. I've had it years now. So... They, uh, you know, they're already dressed, but they put on a little bit more formal stuff. They make their way down to the uh, main room, which kind of got like their thrones stuff in them and stuff like that. Um, so that's where they take guests. The gentleman is brought in. So the gentleman who's brought in um, is Elvin. 
first of all. Um, but he's really muscular for an elf. Much more buff elf. He's in very good condition from the looks of him. He also is wearing... Because uh, you can tell this by looking at it. But his, his gear and his shield is all dragon hide. Um, I will interrupt myself for just a moment by saying... Darsh is still here. Darsh hasn't returned home yet. With the Tobias thing happening, he sent a message back to his wife saying, hey, I'm hanging out a bit. I don't know what's going on. Jorn, Garrig, and Nathalian are staying here with me at this point. We'll return as soon as we can. She's like, gotcha. Should mention that. Darsh is still there. Darsh has a room to himself because he won't fit in the spare rooms. Uh, <laughs> he comes down. Um, Dandy and Michael have their own little house at this point, although uh, Dandy and Michael are now discussing having an actual home built for themselves. They would like to have a permanent residence here. So they have one that was originally Mercy's house where the keep was being built, and then she gave it to them. So they would like something a little bit larger because it was not really built to have a bedroom for kids and stuff. It was just Mercy, a little one-bedroom place. So they're looking at building one as well. Again, Dandy, probably the wealthiest of everyone here, um, which sounds odd considering how much money Darsh and Mercy make on taxes and their adventures and their ships. But Dandy has no overhead. She pays nothing other than what she donates to people when they need it, like Thieves Guilds when she's in Paxwell. All of her money is in just different banks around the different kingdoms, basically. She has more cash than she knows what to do with. So they decide to build their own house, a Kender-designed house, no less. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, Darsh is there as well. Uh, the elven gentleman uh, is dressed all in dragon scale. Um, which in itself is expensive. Remember, Darsh has a dragon scale shield that they made from defeating a green dragon. You know what I mean? That was not easy. Um, this guy's dragon scale is all black. Um, specifically. Um, so it, it looks very black, very sleek and such. Um... And he introduces himself as Balin. Does not give a last name. Not ask for one. It's not that everybody has a last name in these worlds. It's like Cher. But no. Gives his name as Balin. And Mercy's like, okay, Balin, um, how can we help you? I was told you wanted to meet with us. Uh, and he's like, yes, I have... Uh, I'm on, I guess you could say, a quest. Um, I'm seeking out something, someone. And I was traveling... But a week from here, week's travel from here, uh, when suddenly I came across this man dressed in blue in the middle of the woods. He seemed to know who I was. He knew what I was looking for and where I was going. And he told me that if I continued on my path, I would fail. And that if I wanted to have any chance of succeeding in something I've been working towards for a very long time, I had to come here and ask for your help. And they're like, man in blue. Yes, his name was Tobias. He said to tell you that this is important and that you need to help me. He goes, and I'll be honest, he goes, and he, he goes, I mean no disrespect looking at you. Fine castle. I see you've got a lot of warriors. I'm really not sure how you're going to help. You know, I don't really need help. Um, but this man knew a little bit too much for me to just wink it away. And then when he explained that he was the keeper of time, I had to put a little bit more weight into that. And so I did as he asked, and I came here first, again, though I'm not sure why. Now, this is itself a thing. This guy does not look like a Templar. He does not look like 
a cleric, but he knows what the he knows what the keeper of time is. He respects that, so he knows the keeper of time is important. So he the fact that Tobias says, "Hey, I'm the keeper, and I can prove it." Ooh, magic, uh, <laughs> whatever he did um, by basically giving way more information about Balin than anyone should know, kind of thing. And that's a great way of Tobias because you remember he has a book in the sands. There's a book for you telling everything you've ever done. And he's been researching for a long time. He knows what he's looking for. So, oh, I should stress, because this has been asked in the past, this is not an Inception concept, this is not all taking place in a book inside the sands. Cannot tell you how many people assume that's what's happening. That all of this is not real, and it's just a book that somebody else is reading in the sands. I can tell you that is never going to be the fact. Never going to do that in the story. To me, cross my mind, of course, I came up with it as well. But I felt that was just too cheesy. I, I, I don't want to. Do, I don't want the end of it. The end of all the adventure to be Tobias to close the book and set it on the shelf. Like I, I could picture that ending, but it seemed just a little bit too predictable and cheesy for me. So no. These adventures do not take place in the book in the sands, except for the adventure that took in the place in the book in the sands. But I told you that one. That was different. It's making you aware of that. This is real. In Dungeons and Dragons, obviously. Yeah. So, interrupting myself a lot tonight. A lot of information. We're stepping into a big chapter. So, um, Mercy's like, okay, well, we. I'd like to hear obviously your story and, and what's going on. But before we do that, there's a few others I'd like to have come here as well. People I trust uh, and people that Tobias would want to hear your story. It's like, okay. They're like, if you'll make yourself comfortable here, we'll have, you want food, drinks, we'll bring you. He's like, sure, I'll take a meal. Why not? I travel, I travel a lot. I don't get, I'll take a free meal. Sure. And he seemed, while well, he seems very intelligent, he's elf, he has that elven thing he also seems to carry some of that elven arrogance, like he's looking around and like everyone's less than them, like even Darsh, who's going to cut a very imposing figure right, very imposed just Darsh stand there, he looks at Darsh like, yeah I'm not concerned, like okay, you're a big scary minotaur, fine I, I don't see how you're really going to help me uh, to answer Bader's question why don't you stream in both Twitch and YouTube Twitch doesn't let you do that, if you're a Twitch affiliate Anything you stream on Twitch can't go on YouTube for 24 hours. Some people dual stream, but they're technically breaking the rules. And if you ever get successful, uh, Twitch will really come down hard on you for that. You can lose your affiliate status or partner status. Um, I don't like that. If I could, if they didn't have that rule, I'd stream on both Twitch and YouTube all the time. But if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to stick to YouTube because that's where my videos are and that's where my community is. That is a common question I get, though, so I didn't mind answering it. For any of you out there who are listening on Spotify or iTunes, YouTube is where I stream this and also where I stream all sorts of other stuff. Only Draven Gaming on YouTube or links to it on my website, onlydraven.com. Thanks for visiting. So this being said, messages are sent out for the others, right? Artemis, I know you're busy, still healing people. You probably need to come here. Sends a message out to um, Dandy and Michael probably need to come here. When Danny and Michael travel around, they pretty much always have the baby with them. Petal's always with them. They, they don't really have people to leave it with. If they're going to leave it with anyone, it's going to be Tevin or Mercy or something like that. So Danny very rarely lets Petal out of her sight. Um, obviously. I mean, for obvious reasons. Right? Um, so they arrive. So Artemis 
uh, Dandy and Michael arrive first, and Balin looks at them and literally snores. Like, like, what? Why are you bringing a kender and a baby and a dude with a big spear on his back? And he looks at Michael for a minute, and he looks at the spear like he's like he like he looks at it like he knows that this is definitely not just a regular spear on his back, right? And he kind of he almost looks like he has just the slightest bit of interest in Michael, more for the spear than Michael. But the kender throws him off completely. By this point, Garrig and Jorn and um, Nathalian are there. And even Nathalian, another elf, he just doesn't pay any attention to. In a moment, Mercy's like, do you recognize this guy? And he's like, no, he's not from our kingdom. He's, if, he's from, I don't, if he's from our world, I'd be shocked. But he's not from Santriel. You'll remember, Nathalian is a prince of the elven kingdom of Santriel. And then a little bit later, Lucas arrives with Artemis. She apologizes and said that uh, Draven will be there soon. Uh, but he's, he was uh, helping Tevin settle down settle Seraph for the morning. But um, Artemis is the first person that Balin pays attention to. And he literally stands up, comes over, introduces himself, um, and, and literally says, thanks her for coming. I mean, Artemis is clearly a high cleric. This is, and again, he expressed respect for the Keeper, which is in all intents and purposes, while you're a mage, still secondhand to a god, and Artemis walks in with, and again, he looking at her, not just from her rank, but the amount of power level she'd give off for anyone with that type of ability to see that, uh, definitely is going to be noticeable. And so she's the first person that he legitimately seems interested in. Not even Mercy, who's a queen of the entire kingdom and has you know thousands of guards at this point, all this stuff, could care less. But Artemis is a different story. And he's introducing himself, and he says, yes, I'm Balin, and so on and so forth. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for attending here. I had no idea someone of your stature resided in the city, and I am blessed by your presence. Like, he's just going on. Artemis is a little taken back. Lucas is like, all right, guy, laying on a little thick there. Chill out. She's married. You know, <laughs> but that's kind of the, the thing that she's, he's going on there. And then the door opens again, and, and Draven comes in. And before anyone can move, Balin has pulled his sword out and is standing in front of Artemis. And Draven stops, puts his hands up, because he's like, am I going to need to draw weapons here in a second? Because he's fast too. It takes just a moment. Everybody starts pulling weapons, like guards and such, because there's going to be a tons of guards in here, you know, that stuff. Darsha, Mercy's weapons in her hand, and, and Balin's going to see that. All these magic weapons start getting whipped out by everybody. And Mercy's thing in hand, and they're all they're like, you're going to need to put that sword down, sir. And he's genuinely confused. He sees Draven and he's like, gives a look like, why are you allowing this? Granted, Draven definitely looks outside the world of normal. Draven does not look like a regular dude. A naturally pale skin, long white hair, gives off the aura of a vampire because the dude's part vampire. I mean, it's, he's not hard to tell he's not a regular human. He's not an elf by any means, even though he does have a tiny point to his ears, not as developed as elves have, I should stress. Um, just wanted to say that. I've never mentioned that. But he does have a tiny point to his ears, but not as much as elves. Um, Artemis goes and stands by Draven and takes his hand and introduces him as her husband. And if a shield was dropped on the ground and a loud clang came out, that would be basically the sound his jaw would have made when he hit the floor. He's blown away by this. And he's 
puts his, his weapons were already put away because everybody drew on him. And he's like, listen, I wasn't worried about you, but this is still a lot of people with weapons. And Mercy's little pop of her morning star to his hand, that caught his eye as well. You know? Dandy's got the baby hidden and a dagger in her hand. Like, what? <laughs> like, suddenly, baby and dagger. Like, where'd that dagger come from? Was it tucked in with the kid? I did not see the dagger, you know? Dandy's got hidden daggers all the time. And in places you wouldn't expect. There's some hidden in the keep. Dandy made a point of hiding daggers in different rooms around Serenity in case she was ever somewhere where she needed a dagger. It was something she wanted to do, and I thought it was quite funny. So occasionally people will find a dagger for some reason. Never a magical one, though. Um, Artemis introduces him, and he apologizes. He's like, well, I apologize. I did not quite understand, but okay. <laughs> All right. If you say so. And it's, it's one of those things again. This has happened before with Draven. It's like, okay, if she says you're okay, I won't kill you. Because I really respect her more than anybody else in this room right now. Another thing that catches his eyes is after, right after, the, as this is happening, two elves with the <laughs> Templars of Time are walking in the room and also draw their weapons. Now, he wasn't drawing a weapon on Draven or on, on Artemis, so they weren't as quick to rush in, but they were definitely ready. Uh, but Artemis stepping in, and they're fine. When he sees them there with Artemis, he's like, okay, well, clearly, here's clear, Keeper of Time met me in the woods, sent me here. Here's a really high, powerful healing cleric, which I respect, with two Templars, and he probably knows a little bit about these Templars, just from the way he's looking at them. Templars of, 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 of Kiara, pretty powerful bodyguards to have, hanging out with this thing as her husband, which is shocking, and everybody's geared to the teeth with magical stuff. <laughs> and he kind of gets a smile and he goes, this might be the right place after all. Uh, Beef ELG says, I've heard so much about Dungeons and Dragons, but still don't know what it is. You know, Dungeons and Dragons is a ton of fun. Um, but if you'd like to know what it is, like an actual just brief description to show it. I have a video on my channel called Behind the Dice. And it's literally called What is Dungeons and Dragons? It's where I go through all the basics, explains how it works, kind of shows that stuff. Um, I would highly recommend checking it out. Um, I'm in the process of writing the second episode of that. It's actually something I have to write a script for. Uh, so it's a little bit more work than normal. Um, but I would recommend checking it out. Uh, most people uh, who I've seen it who didn't know Dungeons and Dragons felt much better with their knowledge after they walked away from it. So I would recommend that. So, they ask Balin what, what's going on. Balin gives them, them his story. Balin is a dragon hunter. Um, he's been a dragon hunter most of his life. Because his father was killed by a dragon. Um, I was player, I love NBC, and me and my party. Oh yeah, it's great when that happens. Uh, and this, whenever there's a candy or Kender in your party, it's going to happen. <laughs> Why is there a Kender here? Minotaur helps offset that a little bit. Um, but he's a dragon hunter. Now this explains why he has so much dragon scale gear. He says his father was killed by a black dragon. Not just a black dragon, a great worm. What does that mean? Very old, very powerful dragon. The dragon's name is Siruk. C-I-R-O-K, for those of you who want to know this one. Cyric. 
And even at a young age, uh, from his family and where he was from, Balin was train, training to be a warrior. When his father died, he just trained even more. And he trained, he's an elf. So, you know, training through his childhood could have been 100 years. You know, that's kind of how that works. Give me one second. Turning a fan on. It's getting toasty. Um, but, right? Tell me if that fan becomes loud and I'll turn it off. Um, but he's like, my father was killed by this dragon and I trained and trained and I've spent all of my life trying to find the dragon that killed my father. Um, he has killed multiple dragons trying to find them. Not always blacks, although primarily he's looking for a black dragon, so that would be why. Um, and surely enough, when he came through the merge, because he was pulled through that, it didn't take him long to find out that Sirik was here as well. So he's been trying to, he's been chasing him across merge worlds for several years now, trying to track him down. And he believes he may have finally found him. Um, he has uh, paid, he has great wealth to mages and clerics and such in different areas to help, and it ha has located what he believes is Sirik. Uh, far, far to the north. Um, he was heading that direction to finally face this dragon, who, again, very powerful dragon. Right? Pointing that out to everybody. When he came across Tobias, Tobias advised him that if he ever wants to have any chance of killing Sirik and avenging his father's death, he will need allies. And the out the people he needs are in serenity. And he should search out mercy. Um, and he says, he, and you know, this, is the, this is the keeper of time. He goes, he goes, because I'm going to tell you, if you go in there alone, you will die. Not a you might, you will. Now when you're, you're talking to somebody who lives and breathes time, someone tells you this is going to happen, you, you kind of have to take their word for that. And this is a guy whose whole life he's wanted to avenge his father. He doesn't want to throw that away, that opportunity. So, he took those, took that advice and he came here. Uh, again, uh, doesn't think much of the PCs, thinks even less of Draven. Very confused by Artemis and Draven. Be least impressed by Dandy, as most people are. He says that he, he has to go, he can't wait long, because there is a chance... Uh, that the dragon could move on, but he may have actually found his uh, horde, his dragon horde, where he keeps all of his stuff. And if that's the case, he's going to keep coming back to it unless he moves it, which has happened a couple times already. And it's, he says it's not that he's running from me. I want to make that clear. He moves around for different reasons that I've yet to figure out. Um, but... Not only do I have to kill him, but there's something else. He has in his possession a magical orb. It's a good size orb, like this. And in it is trapped an essence that he has to free. It's part of this quest. Avenge my father and free this essence. I have to break that orb. That's what I have to do. Break the orb to free the essence. Avenge my father. My two goals in life. If you, if you, if you wish to come with me, he said that you would. And they're like, yeah, well, 
we're going to have to. I mean, that's just how this works. Um, we know we have to help Tobias. So immediately a conversation goes on. Who's going? Right? Who's going to go? Well, in this situation, uh, our heroes go. Because that's just how D&D works. So Artemis, Dandy, Darsh, and Mercy are going to go. Because, he says, Tobias said to take them specifically and to give them a word. And the word, he said, would allow them to travel to the dragon much, much faster. And through the ways he speaks, Mercy and them understand this is a, this is a, this is a realm code. If you remember, the realm gates, you can teleport from gate to gate if you know the name of the other gate. If you're at a gate, just having the key will give you the knowledge of what that gate's name is, so you can come back to it. But you can't learn the name of another gate unless somebody tells it to you or you go there manually. Um, but he has the name of, of a gate, and that using their gate key, they should be able to portal there. And Mercy has access to two keys at this point, remember. I want to point that out. Mercy has one that she keeps on her, um, and then there's another one that's usually on Ulrich or Quan. They're the ones who are responsible for opening the portals uh, when, like, Paxawal comes through. Although Paxawal, uh, the Merchant's Guild, have one at this point and use it to travel to Serenity and back. That made life way easier for Mercy and them. Once the Serenity, or sorry, Paxawal has access to several keys. Nobody knows how many keys there are. Hell, nobody knows how many portals there are. Um, but the keys occasionally show up in weird places. You know, a lot of times you find them in treasure hoards and things like that. And it's clear it's not supposed to be there. These realm gates didn't exist before five to six years ago, ten years ago. And the keys are made of the same material. They're unbreakable. They don't give off a magical aura, but they're uber magical. Very crazy stuff, these realm gates. I really had fun designing those. Um, he says, "Do you, and they explain it to him. There's a realm gate. He's like, I've heard of these realm gates, though I've not found a key uh, or had the opportunity to make use of them myself. If this will, in fact, bring us closer, then that alone makes this trip to here worth it. I'm like two days off schedule, but if that could save me weeks of travel, because his notes are showing where he's going, it would be almost a month and a half to two months of travel to get there. And they're like, that's a long distance. That's a very far way. He says, yes. So if you could get us there quicker, then that makes this trip. If nothing else, that made me coming here worth it. He goes, but time is short. I have to hurry. So those four are going to go. In this situation... Lucas is going, because Lucas does not like Artemis to travel without him. Unless Draven's there. Then he'd be a little bit okay with it. Draven... Oh, wait. Did I say that right? Yes. Uh, Draven is going to be staying behind. Uh, as well, to watch over the temple and the children. Right? As well as Ulrich, who's going to stay behind to run the kingdom. It's a lot harder for both him and Mercy to take off on adventures at this point. Usually it's one or the other. Uh, it can happen, but it, they try not to do it too much uh, because it can cause some problems. Uh, you know, without the king there, usually Quan is left in charge or Seamus. Usually one of those two run the kingdom as the head knight because they kind of share a position of head knight, if you will. Um, the other knights are all super powerful and important, but those two were the, uh, the first next to Ulrich. So um, they're going to be traveling. Um, that north, he goes, he goes, so I don't have time to wait. I can give you 48 hours to prepare to go. And then I either go with, we go and we take that gate thing or I start traveling myself. I don't have time to wait. The guy, again, a little arrogant, still doesn't, 
Well, he's giving him a little bit more attention. Still doesn't seem like, other than this portal, he goes, okay, that's why I'm here then. Not like you're going to help me. It's, oh, the portal. Okay, that's useful. Although he's being very careful to not try to show any disrespect to Artemis. But Artemis, our four heroes, and Lucas are going to go. Michael will stay home to take care of Petal. And I've been asked in these situations by other people who I've told parts of this story to, um, how come the spouse of someone is just cool with them going? Just cool with them going. You're traveling, you have kids, you're just leaving. I'm like, because why wouldn't they? And that sounds odd, but if you're president of a country and you've got to go to another country for a son, you're going to go. you got to go. you got kids. You still have to go. Take that aside. If we look at any fantasy story ever, and people have to go on an adventure, and they're a king or a queen, whatever, they have to leave their princes and princesses behind, and so heck, most stories start with a king that went off to war by himself and doesn't come home, and the prince has to take over. That's how that works. But it seems that some people uh, seem feel like it's a little more odd because primarily this these group of characters are, are women, um, which in my mind makes absolutely not a damn difference at all. Uh, Mercy's the queen of this place. She's the head honcho. But she's also the one that founded this place through questing and adventure and taking on dangerous stuff. Her knights don't question that. Ulrich's king, but Ulrich's second. She runs this place. There's never been a question about that. He loves and adores her. She loves and adores him. But she's in charge. And in serious moments, he does what he's told. Not in like a, I'm a servant kind of way, but purely out of respect. Uh, Draven, the same kind of situation. I mean, Artemis means the world to him, and he wants to protect her, but at the same time, he respects her capabilities. Michael and Dandy, Saint, more than anybody else, Michael understands Dandy going. Michael's gone all the time. Remember, he goes out, even when Dandy's been here with the baby, he's been going out doing undead hunting, which, for the record, occasionally Draven and Tobias go with him. I have a side story down the road I'm going to tell you of an adventure of Tobias, or not sorry, Tobias, of Tevin, Draven, and Michael on an undead hunt. It's a side story that comes a little bit later, but it's a, something that's kind of fun because they, the characters wanted one. They, they started to become more friends over this time period, the three of them, uh, and they started kind of working together. Um, because, again, Draven's searching for the man in the hat. Uh, Michael's searching for undead. They kind of maybe have common goals, so they're working on that. Um, but, you know, of that nature. And then Darsh, same thing. Darsh has gone on the ship all the time. So whether he's off on the ship for three months or he's over here fighting for three months, that's just how this is. So, no, there's they, they're never happy to see their loved ones have to leave. They may not come back. But that's just how this stuff works. That's how kingdoms worked back in the day. King has to go... It, 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 it makes no difference. So I wanted to address that because I have been asked that already a couple of times. You'd be surprised how many questions I get directly about Merge Worlds. Uh, through messages on the website or Discord and such. Uh, some people really like to ask them directly instead of posting them. Um, but, you know, I'm fine with that. I'm happy to answer them. Uh, but yeah, no, it's understood this is part of the job, and so they go when they're needed. And when Artemis goes, Lucas goes. Artemis commands the two elven guards to stay. They're not happy about that. She says, while I am gone, you will help protect the temple and help protect my family. This is going to go on for a second. Hold on. Double notifications popping. For some reason, they don't pop up as they people sub. They all pop up at once midstream. Never understood why. There we go. So 
they're staying. They're going to stay behind. Now, as much as they don't want to do that, they were told to protect Artemis. They also, in this situation, they they would follow Artemis's orders as if they, she was a cleric of time. So they're like, not happy about it, but they nod and they just, they, they stay. Uh, there are times when it looks like the two of them may be speaking to each other, but they never speak to anybody else. They never speak when anyone else is around. But sometimes when they're just together in a distance, it looks like they may be talking. So everybody thinks that maybe they can talk, but they don't. Maybe there's a reason they don't. It was a very, very big piece of conversation during this adventure uh, that I was very careful to um, never answer. <laughs> oh, hold on a second. I had a quick question from the wife. Um, so these ones are going to go as well as Lucas. Uh, but they're going to go with a skeleton crew. They're not taking anybody else than that at this point. Um, they weren't really told to by Tobias. There was no clear sign that anybody else has to go. But Mercy and her friends, that's just kind of how this works. They know that they're the ones that have to go on these things. So uh, they're like, yeah, 48 hours. We'll leave, we'll leave two days from now. Give us time to prep. Um, they make the arrangements, right? Um, during all this, Tevin has been staying at the temple more lately. With all the battle and stuff, him and Draven have not been out hanging at their house as much as they used to. Draven's 50-50. It's become more Tevin's place than anything else. Although occasionally Draven and Artemis and the baby will come up there to just get away. Well, the toddler at this point, right? Say so he's like four, almost five. And they're five, something like that. So they take two days to prep, get everything they need, give out all the information, leave Ulrich in charge, of course, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they begin traveling to the portal, which in itself takes a little bit of time. It's a lot faster. They supply horses. Balin didn't have a horse, but he's fine to ride one. Doesn't seem real happy with it, but he's like, I'm fine. I'll ride a horse at least to the portal. At that point, he goes, I don't know where we're going. I mean, I don't know what's on the other side, so we probably don't want to take horses. They rarely take horses. Um, so they go ahead and they travel to the portal. And once there, they use the command word uh, to open up the gate, or the realm gate, um, to their direction. And they all kind of walk through. Uh, Balin's a little bit thrown, because he's never been through one of these, but these uh, lesser races seem to be having no problem with it, right? So he doesn't want to show up face. So he goes through. Bear with me a moment. I'm, I'm sorry for the noise. One second. I hate to say this, I haven't really eaten in a few hours, and I'm feeling a bit peckish. Grabbing a quick Swiss roll. All right. As always, when you walk through a realm gate to a gate you've never been to before, you never quite know what you're going to find. And immediately, they find themselves in what is an old, dead forest. That is also part swamp. So it gets swampier the further they go, I should say. But it's a dead forest. There's lots of big old trees, very few leaves and such, vines and stuff on them. Um, very loud, like a swamp would be, and the animals and such. Um, but it is a very funky place. From this direction, Balin says they need to go north. Doesn't quite tell them why he knows that. But that's something that the characters notice. You just came through a portal you've never been through to a place you don't know where it comes out, but you know which direction we have to go. Um, so at this point, they're starting to think Balin may be part mage or something. Um, 
he doesn't quite camp with everybody else. Seems to go off on his own. So he may be studying his spells and things. But like a warrior mage, battle mage, maybe. They weren't quite sure. But again, it's somebody who's dedicated their life to killing dragons. Who knows what skills he may have tried to pick up. All right. It takes them four days of travel through the swamp. The swamp itself wouldn't be that bad. The swamp wouldn't, wouldn't, it's a swamp. The travel wouldn't be that bad if it wasn't for the swamp, right? Because it gets deep and such. So after a short period of time, they realize this is going to slow us down. And so they give Balin an option. Like, hey, we have a flying magic carpet. Would you like to take that? I mean, we also have this magical chest of holding you climb down into. Some of us could so on. And he's like, again, they keep popping out magic items. And, and he addresses it. He's like, how is it you've come across so many rare magical items and artifacts? He goes, you, he goes, I won't lie. You are better geared than most people I've ever come across. And they tell parts of their stories. Well, there was, they did this, and there was the stones, and there was so on and so forth. And he starts to listen to these tales, and while at first they don't seem believable, he seems to be catching on a little bit more like, okay, maybe these guys have done some stuff. How do they know Tobias? They start talking about the Keeper of Time. Oh, wow, you knew when he was a kid. That's weird. He's been around for thousands of years. That kind of thing, you know. Um, talk about how they helped Paxawal, places he may have heard of. So he's, he's like, he's getting a little bit of knowledge about them uh, during this travel. But he declines and says, no, we need to go on foot. And that surprised him. Like, well, don't you think? Uh, I know you're in a hurry. Wouldn't it be better to take the carpet? And he said, I would if we weren't going to be approaching a flying dragon's home. The last thing you want is for us to be taken, attacked, in the sky, on a carpet, from a huge dragon, where some of us are locked in a magical box while flying over a swamp. And the characters are like, yes, that would make sense then, wouldn't it? Um, that would be bad. I'm like, yeah, that chest of holding falls in the swamp. You may never find it. The people inside will suffocate. Everyone will die. Um... So flying into the home of something that's big and scary and flies probably don't want to take the carpet. Um, and he was, they actually asked that. And he, when rebuke, rebuking them for that, they felt a little silly. And, that, and he takes a kind of a turn of, oh, God, what have I brought with me? You know, kind of those things. But as they're traveling, you know, Arsh is showing, he gets a chance to look at some of their weapons and so on and so forth. And again, they're still pretty geared. So even if he get, they get a swing in each, it still might help, right? So... They travel through the swamp. It takes days. And as they finally are getting close to where he, he says they're getting close. How he knows, they don't know. He says, we're getting close. He starts to tell them a little bit more of what they're going to find. He's like, if we arrive and what I've been told is true, and in fact, Sirik does live here, he will not be alone. Um, he has a mate. Um, he had a child, and he gets a little bit of an evil smile on his face for just a second and goes, had a child, um, but he also has quite a large group of loyal followers. He's worshipped as a god in, by, uh, some, by a dragon cult. So uh, anywhere he or his minions, whatever, they're going to come across some of those, so they may have to deal with some of that. So they're 
help prepared for that. Um, he also said, when we get there, main goals. Kill the dragon. That will be the hard one. Break the orb. And if possible, kill the high priest if, if there is a high priest there. Um, because, again, black dragons, evil dragons, this is just going to help good people in general. They're like, well, we can't really argue with that. Okay, understandable. Um, and eventually, as they're traveling through, after days of traveling, they come across something that the heroes weren't expecting. Part of a road. Uh, it's a little bit narrower than they would normally expect, and it's definitely old and unused. It's mo mostly submerged by the swamp, but it does pop up in pieces of it occasionally as it looks like the swamp is cracked. The swamp may not have always been there from the looks of it. And as they're going, they in the swamp they start to see what look like ruins of some smaller buildings, almost like what you'd find on the outskirts of a city. And Balin's like, he goes, yeah, he's been known to, uh, black dragons known for their swampiness. Um, they are, black dragons love the swamp. Uh, known for ruins and old temples and things of that nature. So he goes, I expected potentially that we might find, um, some type of ruins here. And it turns out that's, that turns to be true. He goes, and it's what I was told, that I would find the ruins here. And they're like, well, who told you this? How do you know this? How do you know where we're going? He's like, I was gifted with information. Um, I sought out different powerful magic users and made incredibly high payments. And one successfully found the essence of Syric here and was able to ascertain that it was in these ruins, though I know nothing about them. Now, for you all who are getting to hear the story, I'm going to tell you a little bit about them. Because I wrote about it, and I told the characters. Um, but this is just kind of an aside that they may have learned through things they found while they're there. Uh, but the city was the city of Star Hollow. The uh, city of Star Hollow was an ancient halfling city that had been abandoned for centuries. It is said that the residents had become a more city-like, lazy, slothful race, unlike normal halflings, uh, growing farther and farther from their goddess Circe. Uh, Sirsha being halfling god. In the Great Race Wars, the halflings were attacked by the humans of Kiljarn. Under siege, the halflings were barely, barely able to hold off the human army. They prayed to Sirsha for help, and the goddess heard them. The elven nation of Londriel came to Star Hollow, beating back the humans and saving the halflings in their city. Ashamed they were unable to defend themselves, the halfling king led his citizens out of the city back into the forest, hoping to regain their former status by living closer to nature and their goddess. Uh, the halflings made their way out into the wild, swearing to never return to their slothful city city lives. Star Hollow became sacred and forbidden ground to halflings of the world that that's from. I like to add occasionally little snippets of where that world is from. Like those other places I mentioned, the Elven Kingdom, you know, probably never came through the merge, but in the history, they may find some of this in a book while they're there. That's the assumption. They find some old scrolls. This is information they find out throughout the adventure that explains where they are. Alright. And, um... It's just kind of fun to share it. Add a little more depth to the world. 
Now, as they're making their way through the ruins, the beginning of this city, they can tell that the city is getting bigger. And it was a large city. But it looks much more like a human city would be than halflings. And either appear to be relatively large and yet broken several-story buildings in the distance, in the trees and vines all over them, broken and such. But definitely in the ruins that they do see, doors, windows, they're all a little bit more halfling size. It makes sense. Darsh would struggle uh, to try to get through some of these doors. They're nearing the city. Again, trying to be careful to be sneaky because there could be lookouts if this uh, cult is in fact here. When instead of minions of the cult, they find something else. Balin warns everyone first. Out of nowhere, he tells everyone to find cover and hide as best they can. Nobody questions it. Everybody starts scrambling. Darsh, of course, not knowing what else to do, literally almost lays down in the swamp where just his head is sticking up because he's just so tall. The swamp's not quite deep enough for that. you got to imagine there's like worms and leeches and all that nasty stuff climbing under the water and frogs jumping on his face and he's just trying to lay in there with just his head sticking out. Um... Because, again, it's hard for Darsh to hide in a situation like this. you got to imagine he's not very happy walking around in swamp-wet clothes afterwards. Um, but as they're hiding, they try not to move, a large shape flies overhead. Balin, very unhappy. Well, and happy. He's happy that there's a dragon here. He's not happy that there's a dragon. Yeah, you understand. You know, he's like, I, gotta kill I don't like you, but at the same time, I'm glad I found you. That's kind of the reaction he gives. After the the Drake flies by, he doesn't get it. He 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 looks at it and he seems a little irritated. And they're like, "Okay, well, he's here, right?" And he goes, "That wasn't him." He goes, "I couldn't." He goes, "I didn't." He goes, "I couldn't see which it was. Could be a mate. Could be something. Could be just a servant." He goes, "But that dragon was not Sirik. Sirik's much larger." And they're like, "All right, well." Maybe then we're fighting two dragons. Great. Let's find out. So they start sneaking again into the city. Sure enough, as they're approaching the city, they start to see in the distance fires, light. Thing of people, some of these buildings have lights in them where they've been partially rebuilt or at least, you know, where holes in the roof are now covered in leathers or blankets and such to help keep out the water. Clearly someone is living inside some of these buildings. Um... Let's see here. They occasionally come across sentries. Um, again, Artemis, being a cleric, it's easy to see the clothing and the gear of someone who worships. I mean, they're wearing that. They're not just standing in regular clothes. They're wearing symbols of a black dragon and such on them. And while dragon worship is not untold of or unheard of, it's not quite the same as clerics. Dragons can't really bequeath powers to their minions. Um, but, they, unless they give them magic items and artifacts from their own private horde, which that's usually the way that works. Um, but they, uh, wealth and protection, these things happen. People hope to be well rewarded and not lunch for uh, serving the dragon. And uh, they make their web. So as they're, they're, they're going through the centuries, Balin's like, We're, I'm, I'm going to go kill those two. And they're like, well, these appear to be humans. And they are humans. There may be a half-orc here and there. And Maybe an odd goblin as well, but um, they're a mix of races, primarily human. And he basically comes to him and he goes, you do not know the atrocities 
these people, these servants, would have done in the name of their Lord and Master Drake. Um, how many people might have they captured and brought here just to feed him? How many people killed, murdered, waylaid, robbed, just to add more treasure to his hoard? I tell you, none of these people you see are innocent and have all done horrible and despicable things in his name. Uh, left alive without him, they'll just move on to find something else to use that type of behavior. Become brigands or you know, murderers, rapists, all that kind of stuff. He goes, we are, he goes, I promise you, we are saving, we're helping the world by removing these people. Artemis, never really happy about the killing when this happens, but Mercy's like, okay. Mercy's like, okay, that's the type of people there. I got no problem with it. Darcy's like, I don't care. Dandy's like, I'm. She, Artemis is always the one that has the issue. Um, but, again, it's what needs to be done. So uh, as they start making their way through the centuries, Balin's like, I'll take care of this. And he's very quick. He's very quiet, and he clearly has experience at this. And he takes out a couple centuries. And as he's moving through, um, as they get closer, there are more, of course, centuries there. Um, to the point where Dandy's like, I'll take that one. And he's like, are you sure? Dandy's like, I'm sure. And he looks at the rest of them, and they're like, no, really, she's sure. So he kind of watches, and Dandy takes off in there, and this is the first time he gets slightly impressed with Dandy. Dandy moves with the speed and quietness through the through the swamp that even he couldn't handle. And he's just from watching from where he is, and she disappears, and she comes back like, okay, there were actually two, not one. They're dead. And Dandy just snick. She, they're gone. Dandy's really good. And while she doesn't, not a big fan of the whole assassin type uh, direction of what her skills can be, she also understands the need for them at times. They manage to path through these buildings and such, avoiding anything where they hear sounds of conversation groups, trying to get deeper to the heart of the city. And again, it's a good-sized city, although, again, it appears majority of the buildings are um, just left in ruin. You know, they're not being used at all. So they're having to be careful. It's as they're moving through that they come across a relatively large building that seems kind of lit. I mean, well lit, I should say. And it seems like there may be a crowd in there. Balin's like, well, I really don't want to walk into a group of things like this, but at the same time, it might help to know what's in there. And he looks at Dandy. He goes, do you think you can get close enough to find out? And Dandy's kind of excited because it's the first time he's actually asking her to do something because he thinks she might be better at it. He's, she's like, I'll be back as quick as I can. And sure enough, she takes off into the swamp. Everybody else just kind of hides and stays back. Well, Danny, again, dodging people and stuff, making her way through the swamp. It's water, so you got to be extra slow, because even somebody being quiet has to worry about that. Uh, but manage to make their way through to the building. And she's the building, being in ruins, there's cracks and such. It's easy for her to see what's inside. And she stays there a few minutes, listening in. Fortunately, uh, the thing in, inside are speaking English. So she's, or not English, common. So she's able to understand them. And then she comes back about 15 to 20 minutes later. She only stayed there a couple minutes, but it takes a while to be sneaky. She explains that uh, she's a little unsure of what she saw. And Balin's like, okay, well, explain it to me. He goes, well, there were people in there that looked like clerics, but they had big dragon stuff, kind of like the centuries we saw. And he goes, okay, cult of the dragon, understandable. Um, 
says also there was a bunch of more like the sentries which like soldier types um, there were some and there was one that obviously was some type of commander general because they were talking you know kind of officially it's like okay cool they mentioned someone named Daylock and this perks Galen up Galen goes ah Daylock is Sirik's head cleric or head priest if you will this adds credence to the fact that we may have found the right place. And he is definitely someone we want to deal with while we can, if we're here. If we can't, the dragon and the orb are the priority. Him too, if we can. Those are the priority. He goes, and she's like, okay. She goes, and then there was one more thing. And I'm not sure how to explain it. Let me try. He's like, okay. He goes, imagine Darsh. Darsh, like, there's a minotaur there? She goes, I'm not done yet. Give me a minute. Imagine Darsh, but with no hair. But with clothes on. Don't picture anything else. Now, imagine instead of hair, it was scales. And instead of Darsh's head, it looks like a dragon's head. Like a big, tall, dragon man kind of thing. Without wings. Balin gets a very big smile on his face. That doesn't make everybody comfortable. He goes, Excellent. These are dragon hybrids and not commonly born from the coupling of a dragon and other races. Uh, very, very rare. And the fact that there's some of those here, again, points us to we're, we're definitely, he goes, I, 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 I have faith that we're in the right place. He goes, this is excellent. He's like, you have done very well. And Danny's like, yeah, yeah, I did well. And she goes to turn back. She goes, oh, one more thing. I don't know if this is important or not, but they said something about guarding the eggs. And Balin's like, what? Yeah, said something about guarding the eggs. That you, so-and-so, you go guard, you know, make sure we have more guards on the eggs and things of that nature. I couldn't hear it all, but something about guarding the eggs. And Balin's like, this changes things very much. If there are eggs here, destroying those must also become a priority. The last thing we want is to be successful and then have a bunch of dragonlings pop out that now want to hunt down your kingdom and me. And they're like, well, we, we could agree with that, yeah, but why would they hunt down us? He goes, well, I'll be honest, he goes, I'm pretty well known in dragon circles. I've killed a lot of them. There's a bit of a warrant on my head. They're like, you might want to mention that earlier. He's like, wouldn't have changed what we have to do. Uh, but yes, there is a reward on my head for most of the dragons of darkness. Um, uh, at least the ones that are aware of me now. He goes, again, I've killed a bunch. So they decide to do a little bit of recon. Now they've got another goal that's thrown in there. So now they got to find the dra kill a dragon. They got to break an orb. They got to find these eggs. And got to kill a head priest. There's a lot of stuff to deal with, without trying to alert a whole camp, right? Because she she goes, well, I was in there. There were a lot. There were probably at least I could see at least twenty or thirty people wandering around that building and the another building on the other side of it. So Dandy and Balin are like decide that they're going to have to do a recon. They're going to have to go and look. At sneaking through Artemis in her robes and Darsh being what he is. Lucas in his armor, glowing with blue and gold and silver of the 
cleric. These are people that kind of stand out in a swamp. So Balin in his black scale and uh, Dandy are going to have to run a recon. And uh, again, our heroes are not real happy about that, but they trust in Dandy. Not as much in Balin. Balin and Dandy go out. It takes them probably a couple of hours. And they return a couple times to check in and see what they found. They basically, I'm going to take this side of the city, you go this side of the city, we need to find what we can. Uh, during this time, Dandy had a little bit of an adventure. She had to do a couple mini rolls and combats to <clears throat> take out certain guards and things that she found. They, of course, Balin's NPC, he's off doing his thing, so they don't know exactly what he's doing. But her, she's out doing her own little mini thing. She's having to get around people. Um, she has to basically disarm traps that aren't traps. And I'll explain that. So she's trying to get through vines and things near people without people knowing. Uh, so a lot of times I would use find and remove traps or move silently. Different combinations of her skills that would kind of work towards what she's trying to do. I'm trying to very carefully and delicately cut a hole in the side of this tent thing so I can see what's inside without alerting the three guards in front. You know? So find a lot of her skills she had to use at this point. Which, again, most of these skills for Dandy at this point are incredibly high. It's not often that Dandy fails a roll. It happens, but it's not very often. As a relatively high rogue, these skills max out pretty quickly. And being a Kender gives a lot of perks to a lot of them, which helps as well. So, she goes on and she returns after a couple hours, and she's able to successfully find the place where the eggs are. Um, she is able to say that she doesn't know what's inside the building, but she was, while traveling, found the guy who was told to go check the eggs, followed him as best she could, and sure enough, he goes into what looks like an old... Uh, you say almost like an old temple. Or an old... Uh, I guess you could say like a fort. It's not really a castle, per se, but obviously a central big building in the middle that was important. A temple, or where the king lived, or anything of that nature. But it's not like a classic castle. Looks more Aztec y. Um, it goes, so I'm assuming, she goes, I believe the eggs are in there, but there's two of those big dragon guys guarding the entrance, and that guy went inside, so I don't know how many are inside. And he's like, okay. He goes, I found where the clerics are primarily at, and I believe in there is where we're going to find Daylock. Um, I didn't see any signs of the dragon. Now, Dandy hadn't seen signs of the dragon, but what she did see were two smaller drakes. So drakes are almost like little dragons, but they're not as intelligent. Flying lizards and such. Most drakes don't have arms. Like a lot of dragons have arms, legs, and wings. Drakes, their front arms are their wings. Sometimes there'll be a talon on the end of them they can kind of attack with, uh, but most drakes don't have arms, just in the design that I use. So... He goes, I saw at least two drakes flying around that area. He's like, I didn't see any drakes, but he goes, that's on par for what I would expect to see here, although that adds a level of difficulty. He's like, as much as I want to take out the priest first, he goes, at this point, he goes, I have to think that of what we've found, the eggs are the priority. We need to take out the eggs first. So they decide to do that. Now, as they get close everybody having to go wider around the city and it takes longer for them to get there uh, people are starting to get a little tired they're like we're going to need to rest here eventually 
We've been traveling through this city for a while, but we have no place to rest here that we can find that's safe. So we either leave the city, or we try to take these things out and find a place to stay. They decide to keep going forward to try to take out the eggs. So when they get there, they're trying to find a way in. And there only appears to be the one main entrance. And sure enough, there's two of those large dragon types. The dragon types are actually taller than Darsh. They're probably about nine and a half to, I'm sorry, about ten and a half to eleven feet tall. They're very, very large, very muscular, heads of dragons, uh, wielding very large weapons. Darsh is like, ah, challenge. Because remember, Darsh left all of his friends back there too. You know, he didn't bring Garrig or Jorn. He's like, no, in this situation, you guys stay here. He's like, ah, I wish I could have them watch me kill one of these. <laughs> Darsh has a little bit of that, you know? A little bit of stuff. Uh, banana uh, videos are nice. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. So, if they go in there and start combat, there's a chance they might be overheard and then everybody from the city is coming at them. These are not things you assassinate. Balin's like, you're not get, a little knife is not going to do that to these things. So, Dandy has an idea. He says, she's like, Balin, I know you're not going to like this, but I have an idea. I'm like, okay. She goes, what if I sneak in by myself? He looks at it. He goes, you think you can get in there? And she kind of points out, and they, they talk about if it's possible. And does he, he, goes, he goes, yes. I, he goes, I think I can get in there by myself. He's like, yeah, but we don't know what's in there. He goes, yeah, that's why I would take you guys with me. In the chest. And Balin's like, ah. He goes, well, I could see how that would work if you are if you fail, we're all dead. She's like, I, I know. He goes, it's, it's a chance we'd have to take. She goes, but I believe I can get us in there. If I can find a place in there to drop the chest and get you guys out, then we may get to bypass these big dudes. At least going in, we may have to take them out on the way out, but nothing else. Maybe we could draw them into the building and fight them inside, which will draw less attention. Balin's like, well, I don't like the thought of being trapped inside your magical chest. He goes, I, I, uh, the plan has merits. He goes, I think, I think that if you can find a place to let us out, we're okay. You get in there and it's one big room, you're going to have to throw that thing down, open it up, and try to hold off whatever's in there until we can get out. Um, which, he's like, and I'll be the first one out. I'll tell you that right now. Because he's been in the chest. They've showed him the chest. They show him how it works. When they tried to do it earlier and he gave him the bad news why it wouldn't work. So he's like, okay, we'll give this a shot. Sure enough, they all get in the chest. And he's like, don't, if you get to a spot that you think it's not going to work, or you're not, turn around and come back. He goes, I'd much rather us have to go in full steam and alert the whole town than you get caught and we get all dead. She's like, that's a fair point. I'll remember that. Closes the door. <laughs> Shrinks it up, puts it in her pocket. Dandy goes into stealth mode. I made this a bit challenging for her because the, uh, I assume the dragons are going to have pretty good hearing, right? Dragons have good hearing, I would assume. Um, the dragon kin. Now, I know in current Dungeons & Dragons, there's something called Dragonborn. Uh, Dragonborn didn't really quite exist as much in 2nd edition, at least not as pair character races. Uh, they did kind of exist as dragon kin as monsters, monster manual. Um, I'm not a fan of them as a PC race. I've talked about that. I'm not a fan of Dragonborn. So I normally uh, don't think anyone will ever play a Dragonborn in, a, in an adventure that I run. Um, but Dragonkin still do exist, and they fought them before. They'll probably fight them again. Um, but 
it's not easy to make a dragon kin. So, just addressing that. Let me get to the next page here. All right, here we go. Danny successfully makes it past them inside. And inside she finds that there are, looks like several chambers or doors that lead into other rooms. And there's a big set of stairs that go down underground. Almost like a big subway entrance, if you think about it. Like a bunch of stairs that go down in the darkness. There's a rim up top, but there's different doors on there. And she's looking around. Some of the doors, the rooms have already caved in or, or just full of trash and stuff. Uh, where people have just thrown junk in there over the years. These guys living here. Uh, but she decides that she, instead of going all the way down, because she doesn't know what's down there, she's going to bring everybody out first. She can pull them out one of these rooms. They're just going to have to be careful not to make too much noise on their way down. But she doesn't see any other sentries up here. Once you get past the dragon dudes, you don't see anybody else. And she already saw one guy come in here. So she knows there's probably at least one dude down there unless he left while she was out telling everybody what was going on. She lets everybody out. Balin literally puts hand on her shoulder and tells her she did well. At this point, he's starting to see the, how, how much useful they are. Mostly dandy. The other ones haven't done that much yet. Um... And they start to go down, Balin and Dandy kind of leading the carriage. And they go down there, and they come to a set of big doors that are open. They're not closed. And you can see light in them. So they approach them very, very carefully. Looking inside, sure enough, there's several... I was wondering. There were two. Sorry. There were two dragon eggs. The dragon eggs are pretty big, depending on their size. Watch Game of Thrones, they're this big. It's bigger than that. So depending on the size of the egg and the size of the dragon, the type of the dragon... These eggs are very black. They're, they're not scaled, per se, but they're very rough. Almost like a leather texture. Um, and these eggs, at this point, are, are at least, you know, uh, two feet? Uh, three quarters of a meter, for metric folks. In width, and a little bit taller. Um, they're nestled in what looks like almost like a nest-type thing of made of uh, blankets, cloths, and things of that nature. Um, but it's set in the swamp. The water is running through it. So it's wet stuff. Like these things, swamp dragons, they're fine in the water. Um, and there are several braziers in the corner lit up. And sure enough, there are at least. Let me see how many there were. I won't tell you at least. Let me tell you the exact amount. There were eight human guards in here, two of the clerical guards in here, and one more of the dragon kin. A large group nonetheless. Balin and Darsh and Mercy and they're all starting to talk. They're like, well, how do we want... They're all spread out across this room. There's no way we're going to be able to surprise these folks. We come through the door, they're going to know it. And Dandy, once again... The only lady who played Dandy really shone in this one. Once again says, I have an idea. Put the chest back down. Puts the chest back down. Now, standing from the doors... Right? The doors are push in doors, right? So they're inside, they're kind of inside the room. And they're relatively large. They're kind of heavy. Uh, but they're not open all the way. Like they're kind of like open, like you can squeeze through, but they're partly closed. You know, like they're heavy, so they didn't mess with them. Big enough space for even Darsh to walk through comfortably. So from the doors, they can, as long as they're careful, they can be kind of hidden. And she goes to Darsh, she goes, Do you think you could close the doors? He says, Well, depending on 
if they're wedged or not. He goes, kind of ruffles his armor. He goes, yeah, I could close the door. Might only be able to do one at a time, but we can close them. Balin's like, I'll do the other one. And they look at him like, oh, sure, Balin. Well, Darcy's like, okay, well, after I do the first one, I'll help Balin do the second one then. Danny's like, excellent. And she goes down, and she comes out with several large bottles of lamp oil, which is something they always keep in the chest of holding. Danny likes to set things on fire. And they're like, this is a room full of at least ankle-to-shin-deep water that all these thing people are standing in. Why well, they're not sitting. Fire's not going to do as much. And he's like, I'll be honest, the eggs are immune to fire. You know, that fire's not going to... She goes, it's not for them. And she goes, Darsh, lift me up. And he literally lifts her up, and she starts pouring it over the edges of the doorway. She greased the hinges, per se. It's not going to work as good as other stuff, but it's going to help. Uh, something that you did one time a long time ago on a door that was jammed. Uh, and she used it that way, and no one had ever thought about it again. But she was like, I'm going to try to do this. She goes... She goes, are we going to try to lock them in there? And he's, she's like, no, we want to lock us in there with them. If we can get the door closed as quietly as possible, then everything up top may not know what's going on down here. These are pretty thick doors. Whatever's going on in here, we run a better chance of not setting off other guards. He goes, or, best case, or worst case scenario, we hold the door while we take care of what's in here, and then we have to fight our way out. Balin's like, I can't fault it. It's another good plan. Yeah, I say we do that. They grease the door hinges as best they can. Uh, Darcy looks like he goes, they're kind of rusted. He goes, but I think he goes, it's going to be hard, but I think I can do it. And they're like, okay, good. So their goal at this point is to step in. Artemis is immediately going to cast a spell. She's going to try to. Uh, which I think she tried to. She was going to use one that made creeping vines try to wrap around, try to catch people try to hold them still while Darsh and Balin could struggle to try to get the doors done. Mercy, of course, is going to charge the room, protect Artemis. Dandy's going to do the same thing. And Lucas. They're going to basically hold the line while they close the door. Lucas and Mercy and Dandy up front with Artemis behind casting her spell like normal. So they run in and they do this. Darsh has to make a strength check. And it wasn't easy. The doors had been that way for a while. They're relatively jammed. That's why they weren't open all the way. But Darsh is exceptionally strong. Even stronger than these dragon dudes. And he's manages to successfully done, and he pushes the door closed. He's a little more shocked to see that by the time he's done that, Balin's already got his door closed. And has drawn his weapons, is turning around, and Darsh is like, sure, give me the hard door. Thanks draws his weapons and spins around as well. Um, the fact that Darsh is carrying a dragon skin shield, probably uh, Balin likes that. Uh, the other people they're about to fight, probably not as much. Now, obviously this chamber is too small for a dragon to have come into, so the eggs had to have been transported here. So, again, it's a good-sized room, but it's not dragon size. As soon as the doors start moving, the things start rushing at them. Some of them are tied up by the vines and such, but that's a temporary spell that's not going to hold them long. Battle ensues. At this point, they're not even messing with the eggs. They want to destroy the eggs, but they got to make sure everybody who's guarding the eggs are down first. Darsh makes his way towards the dragonkin, which the, the, the vines do nothing to hold that. It's strong, and it just charges through. And Darsh charges into it, literally. 
he throws his boots of charge on and just goes flying across the room, which again, not that easy in water. He had to roll, but he did not trip. But he runs and basically shield smashes this thing, sending it flying backwards a few feet. It wasn't expecting that. Um, he was doing that not so much for damage, but to try to buy everybody else a little bit more time. So he blew his charge on his boots, ran into the thing hard. It goes flying back. Balin and, and Mercy are up there throwing combat. Lucas staying back to protect Artemis. And Dandy whipping knives as needed. Or Hupak slingstones. Whatever she needs. Ranged. She tries to stay at a melee when she doesn't have to. The battle itself did not take long. The warriors and the cleric types, as I mentioned, the clerics didn't really have magic. Each of them had one or two small magical items on them. A wand of magic missile, uh, you know, a ring of something. Uh, something that would give them a little bit of extra boost in combat, but nothing super powerful. Um, Mercy and Lucas tear through a lot of those, and Dandy <laughs> sniping. She starts sniping the uh, the cleric types very, very quickly. Balin, who's going to help, it's Darsh and Balin together are taking on the dragon kin. Um, Darsh could probably take it. It would be, almost be a fair fight. The thing's exceptionally fast for its size. Almost a little, actually a little bit faster than even Darsh is, and a little bit bigger. Darsh is in effect stronger. Um, but the thing fights very savagely. When I say that, I don't mean like, uh, but I'm just, it doesn't have a lot of pristine movements. It's just slashing with huge swords where Darsh just finds himself more on the defensive um, than anything else. It doesn't work to protect itself. Its dragon hide makes it very hard to hit. Uh, luckily, Darsh's and Balin's weapons are strong enough to do so, um, but they would know that. The, the dragon kid would know that when the fight starts. Um, this is. Balin's first time in open combat, and Balin is fast. Um, even in this, the water and such, he's he's got that real smoothness of an elf where he's zipping through. And even Dandy thinks it's impressive. Well, he's not as fast as Dandy at the sneaky stuff and such. When he doesn't have to be quiet, he's really going. He's very well trained. Um, Artemis can look at this guy and say, okay, this is an elf who's had several hundred years of training. Because it's hard to tell how old an elf is sometimes, you know? He could be 200, he could be 2,000. It's hard to tell. And different worlds may have different elf ages, right? Things to worry about on Merge World. So, he's just going to town, and everybody's like, okay, this guy is trained. Darsh, at first, has taken the brunt of the attacks, but then Balin's in there, and he's just slicing and dicing with his swords. Um, so it turns on him. But he's, again, well, he's not even trying to parry. He's just dodging, cut, dodging, cut. He's letting it make its wild movements. And while he's doing that, it gives Darsh the opportunity to step in and score a good hit. And sure enough, it's Darsh that actually does the killing blow. Um, he's able to run his sword right through the thing. Uh, and he didn't run it straight through. He came in on the side. So it came on this side, through the heart, and back of its back. Because he was kind of on the side. And one thing that Darsh liked to do before he pulls the sword out is twist it one good time. Because he's strong, right? He can do that. Feel that rip of flesh and then pull it back out. Do a little damage on the way out. Because you don't know if it's dead sometimes. Um, but that was a killing blow for this. And it, it did in fact fall. As soon as they're all dead, Dandy and them are very quick to go to the door. Check to see if there's anything. No one else is coming down. At least they can't hear anything but through the door. They believe that they were successful. So now, what are they going to do? They have to destroy these eggs. Destroying the eggs are not as easy as just taking a couple eggs and smashing them. This point of development, there's, it's not just an embryo in there. It's a partially, if not relatively, formed dragon at this size. Um, 
to be honest, most of them didn't really have a heart for it. And Balin understood. And Balin is like, he's like, you guys, I'm going to be honest, you've helped me much more than I could have ever hoped you would. You guys, I'm, I was sent to you for a reason, and that reason has clearly been shown to me so far. Um, but in this, this is, this, is, this is my duty. This is what I do. You know, step away, vert your eyes, and I will deal with this. And Balin goes, and he destroys the eggs. Literally running them through with his sword and such. And once they're open, throwing burning inside. And, because the, the eggs are immune, but things inside, not so much. Uh, but he destroys both eggs and everything inside of them. When the deed is done, he's like, all right, now we have to get out of here. They have to make a decision. First thing, we're going to have to open the doors. If there's things there we got to fight, we got to fight. If not, does Dandy try to sneak out? They determined to try to do that again. They decide to only open one door just big enough to squeeze out. Uh, and they go with the door that Darsh had for some reason. Balin's like, no, do your door. Darsh's like, okay. So they managed to pull it out. Sure enough, there's nothing down there. Everybody gets inside the chest. Dandy takes it. She goes sneaky again and manages to make it out. So they were successful in that. They managed to make it through that fight without any real problems um, and destroy the eggs. Dandy finds a safe place. Uh, again, they're further in than they've been before. Finds a safe place. When they get out, she draws their attention to something else she sees. In the distance, just past the cities, it appears to be almost like a, a, a hill or a large mound of earth. Right? Not a mountain. It's not that big. But a pretty large mound of earth. And it appears to be there's a large hole in the side that they can see. And Balin's like, yeah, there we go. That's where the dragon's going to be. But he's looking at it, and he, he seems a little bit dubious, even though he doesn't really say anything. He's like, yeah, that'll be the one. So do we go after the High Cleric? Or do we go after the Dragon? They decide at this point they're going to go right after the Dragon. The High Cleric is the lowest priority. If they can, they will, but the Dragon is the big one. And as I mentioned, they've already used some spells. It's getting late. They need to go ahead and take on the Dragon while they're still capable of doing so. Now, making your way to the dragon's cave is actually a bit easier. There are less sentries. Dragons don't need that much guards. They do come across a bit more of the cleric things, but the uh, cleric dudes, they don't see any more of the dragon kin at this point. The dragon kin appear to all be in the city, protecting eggs and such. Um, but they make their way to the edge, and they pass, sneak past everything. When they get to the cave, there doesn't appear to be anybody guarding it specifically. The cave goes in and down, and water's trickling down into it as well. So it's going to be a, a wet, sloppy ride, but they're uh, going to have to make their way down inside, which they decide to do. Not knowing what's in there, they decide not to use the chest sneak trick this time. Uh, they're going to all go down together. And then I have something to read. And this is what I read to them. You make your way down into the cave. Water trickles past your feet, and the air smells damp and moldy. Soon you come upon a huge chamber. Coins and gems glisten in piles from the light of your torch. I knew you were a fool, Balin, says a great voice from the darkness before you. But to face me here is stupidity even beyond you. Sinathra, Balin hissed the name through clenched teeth. Where is he, snake? You will not keep me from my vengeance. A massive black draconic head comes into view. 
The dragon, in fact, was huge, though not as large as Balin had t described. Coins spill and topple over as the dragon takes a step forward. You could never kill him, human. Or no, sorry, elf. <laughs> I would say elf, human there. You would never kill him, elf. The dragon seethed. You are not strong enough. Not that it matters, as you will never leave this cave alive. I will give your head I will give him your head upon your own pesky little sword. You are just another insignificant obstacle, Balin said calmly, as were all the others. If I must go through to reach him, I will. I shall not be denied justice. He will know death by my hand, the same hand that slew his mate and his children. At this, the dragon roars furiously and attacks. It's his way of saying, I've already destroyed your eggs. This is the mate. This is not Siric. This is Siric's mate. But that was saying, I kill his mate and his kids. And he's like, what? So that's, she knows now the eggs are smashed. You can imagine how furious she would be. We now enter into a dragon fight. Now, it's loud. It's So they have to assume something's going to come running at this point. Maybe. So they have quick time. Um, and they have to fight. Now, classic dragon fight, if such a thing is ever possible. Um, black dragon. Acid breath. Um, something they have to concern themselves with. They know all this information ahead of time. Uh, Balin would have described all the attacks and abilities of a black dragon, of which it's very knowledgeable. I don't believe they've ever fought a black dragon. No, they fought a green. I think they fought a red. don't believe they've ever fought a black dragon. So most of this knowledge, while they're not slouches, they would know some of this stuff, Balin gave them a much deeper look into what to expect from this. Um, that black dragons are uh, very more likely to use physical combat and breath weapon, not as much with the magic spells. They have some magic as well, but they're not as much into magic as they are physical attacks. Uh, but the breath weapons can be quite, quite savage. So the attack starts. They charge in with their foot. Regular battle formation. Artemis is in the back. Lucas also kind of in the back, but kind of in the front. They're fighting a dragon, right? Everybody, all, all hands on board. To protect Artemis, Lucas has to go in and fight the dragon. He can't just stand in the back next to her. If everybody else dies, he's not going to be able to do anything against the dragon. So, best way to protect Artemis, kill the dragon. So, Lucas charges in as well. Darsh charges in, regular charge, not Boots charge. He's already used that. Uh, Balin goes in. Mercy goes in. That leaves us with Dandy. Dandy also goes in. Uh, daggers and sling bullets, not going to do much against the dragon. Um... So at this point, she has more powerful daggers that will cut through dragon scale. Dragon, you know, daggers of flame, dagger plus three plus four, stronger daggers. But just throwing those once isn't going to do any. And she's got no thing. So melee's a bit better. Her goal, her hope, is to try to maybe find a way to get around or sneak past it. Try to do some type of a back attack uh, where she gets to do that excess damage. Again, a little bit harder on a dragon to do a back attack. Just stabbing it in the scales and you're doing anything. A back attack is assuming you're hitting it in a special point. Going for under the ribs, back of the neck, slit in the throat. You know, something... A back attack is assuming you're doing a special attack based on you know where to get them. Dragons, it's a little bit harder to do that. Uh, but still her hope. As the fight goes on, of course, first round, right off the bat, uses the breath weapon. They were prepared for that. 
Balin says that he has a magical item that will protect him from that. They were already prepared for that going in. Darsh's shield makes him partially, if he can get behind the shield, doesn't hide all of Darsh, though. Um, so, there were some blessings, there was stuff on them. I want to say two of them had something that helped them in this situation. Uh, Artemis was one of them. And by this point in the adventure, Artemis is a fiend for magic rings. It's become her hobby. She has a belt pouch, she has belt pouches, and she collects magic rings. She always keeps a ring of protection, a really, okay. she has a ring of protection plus four on there. Yes. Hang on a second. Stop. My, my, my Alexa. Um, so, she a lot of times will switch rings up, because you can only wear one ring on each hand. More than one ring will negate the abilities, so they won't enact. It's too much stuff on your, on your hand. So, one ring on each hand. And she'll switch them in and out. She had one that made her immune to this, if I'm correct. Uh, not breath weapon specifically, but acid or something of that nature. Um, so they, they had some, but they had to be prepared for it. Artemis had to immediately throw some heals on a couple people who didn't have much. Mercy carries a shield. Darsh has a shield, so they're good. Balin uses two swords, but he was okay. So Lucas also carries a shield. Dandy was the biggest one. Dandy just kind of hid behind Darsh. Because uh, they expected this. But there was still some damage done in that first one. Artemis immediately had to start throwing some heals. Darsh took the big, the worst of it because the thing did not seem to target Balin. It went after Darsh. Darsh is the big guy. Uh, and the hardest thing to hide behind a shield. So his legs took some damage. He covered his head and chest and stuff with the shield. That's the important stuff. But his legs took some damage. So the battle goes on. Um, Artemis is pretty much heal after heal because the dragon's doing some pretty rough damage. And... Our heroes have an issue. They're fighting in water and on top of coins. It's slippery. wasn't something they were expecting. It's something they're having to deal with. Um, every round, I rolled a percentage chance for each person to see whether or not they slipped. If And the percentage changed, depending on the situation. If I rolled yes... Then they got to make a skill check to see if they managed to maintain their balance. So me rolling it didn't automatically mean they fell. It means they reached a slippery spot where they have to make a check. Um, so that's what I was doing every round. They didn't know exactly what was going on or what the percentages were, but I'd be like, you, roll a check. Now, some people had a better chance of slipping than others. Dandy had the lowest chance. Artemis had a low chance because she really wasn't moving around a whole lot. She was kind of staying in the back casting spells. Um, but Darsh and Mercy and Lucas had to deal with it quite a bit. Um, and sadly, Lucas is the one that fell a couple times, and he took a big hit. Um, Mercy uh, got hit real hard, like knocked backwards, and she literally hits the back of the cave, and it knocks her down. It doesn't kill her and knock her out, but it wins her, and it takes her a couple of rounds to regain her breath where she can come back in again. Um, she took a chunk of damage from that. Darsh, on the other hand, is doing quite a bit of damage. And him and Balin, Balin's just going slishity slash. So Balin and Darsh very quickly become the priorities for Sin the, the dragon, uh, Sinathra. And kind of a claw claw, and it would bite, and it would bite, or breath weapon on the group. And you can only use the breath weapon every so often. But the claw claw bite thing. And the tail was making it hard for Dandy to get around. Couldn't get behind him because the tail is like he was watching for that. wasn't being wasn't being very friendly in that regard. So 
While this is going on, Darsh is attacking. Darsh and Balin are keeping a separate apart, so she can't use one attack to get both of them. They, they definitely were staying separate, and Mercy was kind of running in the middle and where she needed to be, um, and Lucas the same. But Darsh and Balin, being the targets, were staying further to the edges to try to divide those attacks. Um, during the fight, they're doing okay, but the dragon really starts dealing a bit of damage to them. Balin calls out to Dandy, who's also in there trying to stab, and she hadn't almost taken any damage because the thing's ignoring her. Even though she's got her little magical dagger, it's doing the least amount of damage out of everybody. It's like someone just poking you with a pin while people are trying to stab you with a knife. You're not going to worry about the pin so much. The knives are more important. So the tail will sometimes whap at her, and she's luckily able to dodge that because of her dexterity, but she wasn't really doing much, and she wasn't doing it. Balin yells at her, she comes over to him, still in combat, and he tells her to try to find the orb. She knows about the orb, she knows that it can be broken uh, if you do enough damage to it. So he's like, try to find the orb. Because he's like, he's recognizes she's not doing anything. Helpful. <laughs> if you will. So, that's going on. And as they're fighting, uh, Danny's searching. Now Danny's searching. This is, a, this is a big cave. Two or three of, the, of these dragons could fit in here. She's got a lot of room to move around. And there's piles and mounds of treasure and wealth that's obviously been amassed here for quite a while. So Dandy's having to try to run around, and she's trying to stay out of combat. The dragon doesn't seem to be paying her much attention. I'm sure the dragon doesn't want her pocketing her coins, but at the same time, she's being attacked. That's more important. So Dandy's running around doing that. It takes Dandy a while. While this is going on, Darsh takes a big hit. And... Darsh is hit back again. He takes a chunk of damage, but it doesn't knock him out. And he's about to charge into battle when he hears a noise. And instead of charging into battle, he turns around and charges backwards because he heard something else coming. Artemis is in the back alone. So Darsh is now running to the entrance, and here are several of the cultists and warriors coming down. Darsh is trying to hold that line himself while Balin, Mercy, and Lucas are doing melee on the dragon. Without Darsh there, it's focusing more on Balin and able to do a little bit more to them as well, which causes problems. And Artemis is now split, trying to throw heels on either side. She's kind of stuck in the middle. Now, they're far enough, and I said there weren't a lot of guards near here, so there weren't a ton. There was only about six to eight humans. And to be, again, none of them have heavy magical power. And some of them are relatively trained, but they're not a Darsh. And they're coming down here not sure what's going on. They don't even know if it's just a battle or an angry dragon. But as they're coming down here, Darsh takes out the first couple very, very easily. Darsh at this point, with if he can roll a very good successful hit on a dude that doesn't have a lot of armor, he can usually kill them in one hit. And the clerics aren't wearing armor. He targets them first. Um, because while they don't have spells, they seem to have one or two little magic items. He doesn't want to deal with that. So he targets them first, and sure enough, he takes out two in the first round. Now, about this time, Dandy finds the orb. The orb is sitting on a stand. And again, it's about this big, right? A big beach ball. And it's got swirling colors inside of it. Um, and she looks at it, and she's like, well, that looks magical. Now, I've always been told not to break magic things, because breaking magic things are bad. You break a magic thing, and all the magic comes out and goes, whoosh, and everybody dies. But at the same time, Balin said to break this magic thing. 
So maybe the whoosh won't come out, or maybe the whoosh won't hurt me or my friends. I don't think Balin wants us to die. We've been very helpful. I've been exceptionally handy. He even patted my shoulder once. We're basically best friends. He wants to be, but I like Darsha a little bit more. This is the conversation Dandy was having with herself. Because Dandy did that a lot when trying to make a decision. While everyone else was fighting, Dandy would decide what she wanted to do. The thing seems to be sitting on a stand of some kind. Looks like it's made of metal, but it doesn't look anything special, so Dandy doesn't worry about that. She's like, okay, well... I guess I'm going to break it. She takes her hoop pack, and instead of smacking it, because that could break a wooden hoop pack, even though hers is blessed, she has the metal tip on one end. So she starts wailing at it really hard. Um, like a very hard egg, it takes some time. But she starts smacking on it really hard. But when she does, every time she hits it, it makes a really loud ringing noise, like metal on metal. You know, like, clang, like that echoes through the cave. And after the first one, the dragon is aware. And the dragon, very unhappy about this, turns partially to try to see where Dandy is. This limits the dragon's attack in that round. Our heroes are still attacking. Darsh is holding the line pretty well. There's only three armored warriors at this time. None of the dragon can yet, thankfully. There's three of the armored warriors there. Um, and he's holding them off. These ones are a little bit more skilled. He's doing some fighting. Balin uses this as a chance to get in and really do some cuts on the stomach of the dragon, who's still attacking but trying to find Dandy. Because it knows where the orb is, but it, it's looking around it doesn't see Dandy. Dandy's hiding on the other side of it. She's very small. And she's hitting it again and again. She gets to do an attack every round, just like everybody else. So she's hitting it, and I'm having her roll damage. She has to do a certain amount of damage to it. And each time she hits it, the ringing is louder. To the point that the dragon seems uncomfortable, like the sound hurts a little bit. And Balin's like, yes, you're doing it. Hit it harder. And, and like, keep the pressure on. Everybody's attacking. And Luce, Lucas scores a really good hit here. It actually reach, manages to cut the wing really harsh, which really drew her attention on Lucas for a minute. And then he took a really big smack. But then we get to the big stuff. The dragon, angry at all this, turns again, instead of a breath weapon, just does a huge sweeping attack with its arm. And people try to dodge, they weren't expecting it, and it just kind of sends everybody, you know, kind of sailing. They either have to dive out of the way or they get hit. And then it turns and starts charging through the coins to get the dandy. And again, it's a dragon. It's still slippery coins. But it's crawling through the coins, digging to get the dandy. And dandy's hitting the thing, and she hits it for the last time, and sure enough, the thing just spider webs for just a second. Like, it didn't make a no cracks or nothing until she hit it that last time. The whole thing spider webs intricately. She looks at it for a second, and she goes, poke. <laughs> and then it goes, Poof. And as it does, this light just kind of flashes, and it sends her flying backwards. And in her mind, she's like, the magic poof got me after all. And she goes fly back into a bunch of coins and into the water. Um, and it goes, it goes out. Everybody feels it. Everybody who's standing gets knocked back. Darsh knocks him down to one knee. He's a very strong guy. But the three guys he's fighting are knocked backwards up the hill a little bit, which... He's uses to his, atten his ability to get one. But they draw their weapons, and the dragon screams, and it turns back around, and this time, it's just, like, angry, and it's turning around, and it's, like, looking for a place to go. It gives the look like it's looking for an escape. And because it's at that time that Balin roared. The scream that came from Balin can only be described as a roar, almost in the same volume and 
agonizing unhappiness as the dra black dragon. And as his body crackles and shatters and changes, his body grows and gets larger. He, within just a moment, grows into a very large silver dragon. Not quite as big as the black that's in here, uh, letting you know it's younger. Uh, but a silver dragon nonetheless. And with a howl, immediately attacks the drake in front of him. Everyone's a little surprised by this, and just doing everything they can to get the hell out of the way of two dragons fighting in a cave on a mound of coins. Dandy being in the worst trouble, because she's in the middle of it all. So, in this scene, I had her make rolls. You imagine that Dandy, like a video game, she's trying to run through the coins, and she's jumping over a foot, and then she's like diving under a tail, and then swinging past a claw, breath weapon splash. She's having to make a roll to dive and dodge all of these things to try to get out of the coins. And I, tried, I, I wish I had it. I had a bit more descriptive, but I don't have it here. But I was like, you have to do this roll, to rolling, diving, sliding, diving, all this stuff to not get hit by the dragon battle that's going on around her. And they're oblivious to her. No one's trying to hit her. But these dragons are wrestling. Everybody else is like, do we help? And then they hear Darsh combat at the door. So they turn and start helping Darsh, because more people have arrived. Uh, at this point, several guards and the first dragon kin arrives. Also with them comes the high cleric. Now, this high cleric, head cleric, if you will, has a bit more mojo. Not magic, but mojo. Has some more magic stuff. So he starts trying to cast a spell. He doesn't know what's going on there. All you see are flashes of black and silver in the thing, because it's just some torches lighting. It's not very bright. Slashing in there. And this combat goes on until there's a huge scream and a howl. And everybody turns around and kind of out of the darkness they hear barreling like coming through and the silver dragon Balin comes out. And it's just, there's some wounds on him. You can see where acid has burned some of his scales off. He's got some blood and his new mouth and stuff where he's been hit and such. Uh, but he's alive. And he just comes in and he inhales sharply and all the bad guys are like, whoo! And they turn and start to run up the tunnel. Darsh and them step back out of the way, and sure enough, he releases his breath weapon. Which off the top of my head, I forget what that is for a silver dragon. I'll have to look that up. But he uses breath weapon and fires it up the tunnel. And it just goes up in this tunnel and it just decimates everything running while it's trying to get there, including the head priest. Uh, this means, of course, uh, that whatever he was wearing was destroyed, so they didn't get any of his magic items. Had they chosen to fight him first, they had a chance of getting a really cool magic item, but they did not. I like to do that. I prepare for every situation. It doesn't mean you're going to do them all. I've just got them prepared. We're going to run a little long today, but not too long, I promise. I apologize for those of you hanging on who may need to go. There's something specific I'm trying to get to. Um, the battle's over. The black is dead. And... Balin is in his true form. Balin thanks them for the help and explains that he, his father was in fact slain by Sirik many years ago. And at that time, uh, he fought with his father. And his father, or no, uh, his, his essence, dragon essence, was pulled into that orb. It's what they tried to do, what they did to his father as well. Then they killed his father, but Balin still being young in his elven form, managed to escape without dying. But as long as his essence was hidden inside those orbs, those dragon orb-looking things, 
uh, he could not return to his dragon form. Uh, so while he really wanted to do that, his still priority was killing the dragon. Even if he never got his dragon form back. Killing Sirik is his thing. And after this is all said, he realizes, okay, what we've done here, Sirik is not here. He's upset about that, but he goes, we've dealt him a heavy blow today. Wiped out a bunch of his followers, took out his eggs, took out his mate. He's going to be angry, but he's also going to know that I'm me again. Um, and now it's going to be a bit easier, possibly, for me to find him. At this point, they had the decision. Do they want to try to go out and kill everybody else? And they're like, no, at this point we don't want to. Most people are going to flee at this point. They're not going to hunt down all these extra people. Um, they asked Balin, is there anything else that they need to do here? And he's like, no, not here. We've done everything. He goes, but I, will f I can fly you back to the gate now. Because, sure enough, he's way faster than the carpet. And he's a little hesitant. He doesn't want to go back into his elven form. Uh, he's been an elf for several hundred years at this point. He would like to stay a dragon for a while. Um, but before they go, they do what they always do and search for treasure. They find a few magical items, miscellaneous ones. Nothing of note that needed to be listed here at this time. Uh, but they did, as always, open up the chest of holding and just start dumping buckets of coins in it. Because they do that. They're like, oh, look, here's a treasure hoard full of gems and gold. It's not a woohoo, we're rich, but it's a ooh I can get the sewers built. Ooh-hoo, we can build the orphanage. This is how their mind works. So, and Darsh and Dandy always get a cut. So they literally just start throwing as much stuff in the chest of holding. Now imagine that. A room full of treasure. Which is still way more treasure here. They can't carry it all. So they make a point of trying to be picky and finding the stuff that is more of value. Like, oh, I found a chest full of gems. It's worth more than a chest full of gold pieces. Take the chest of gems, dump them down there. And we don't go through the role-playing of all that, but they say that. We target the expensive stuff. We look for anything magical. We look for platinum if it comes, if there's coins. I mean, coins are usually mixed together. So a lot of times I say this is how many coins you were able to get in there in the time that you did it. They're not going to, Balin's not going to sit there for a day and a half while they fill this room. But they're going to, they could take 15, 20 minutes to throw in as much as they can. Search for anything magical, if you will. Um... Because that's understandable. So they do that stuff. They look for that stuff. And occasionally they'll actually look for things of value. They may find a magic. They may find just a, an expensive mirror or a tapestry. Not so much in this situation. But if they beat like a, a lich or a vampire. There might be expensive furnishings there. That they may want to take home. And put up in the temple or the house. A for decoration. B as a trophy. Because uh, they do that. But in this situation it's mostly just wealth. And they throw as much in there as they can before they decide to leave. By the time they leave the cave, there's no one left in that town. Everyone has booked it. Uh, the, w anything that survived or you know s heard that their dragon died is going to take off. So nothing, how many were left and how many made it out, they don't know, but they're pretty far away. Um, he tells them to get inside the chest of holding as well, and he'll fly them. He doesn't have a saddle or nothing. It's going to be hard for him to hold on to like five people, six people on his back. So he's like, hop in the chest and I will fly you there. Um, and he doesn't even have to shrink the chest. He just picks up the trusty regular size. And he flies back to the gate. Which for him... A couple hours. So our heroes are inside the chest of holding. And... When the door opens... And they look up, they're about to climb up. They're surprised to see someone standing there. And the person they see is Wade, 
which is one of Mercy's knights, one of the two brothers, Wade and Lars Owens. They climb out of the chest of holding, and Wade's not there alone. He's also there with Ivis Winstrom, which is another one of the high-ranked Templars of the temple. Immediately, the first thing that they notice, they're injured. They fought a, that fought a war a few weeks ago. These are fresh wounds. They have injuries. And Wade, Mercy's like, what happened? What's going on? And Wade looks at them and says, the temple was attacked. Over a hundred elites attacked it in the night. And that's where I'm going to stop for today. Um, so, while they were gone, a hundred or more Oromanian elites attacked the temple directly. What are the repercussions of that? Anyone live? Anyone die? What's the state of their loved ones? We'll talk about that next Thursday. Um, I have a cool reading part, too. At first I was going to do it tonight, but then I realized, nah, I'll do that next time. So, um, for the record, for the record, uh, that's just for uh, all of the happiness you take when you see me drink Jaeger and cherries and mystery bags. Um, but... <laughs> We're going to leave it there for today. So, the temple was attacked. Serious mojo. There's a knight there. Ivis. Here's a question. Ivis is not Lucas's second in command. Interesting. So, that's where we left off. So, um, we will continue that. So, I'd like to thank everybody for coming and hanging out with me. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, if you had a good time today, whether you're watching this today or 10 years down the road, it'd be awesome if you click that like button. Definitely appreciate it. It makes a difference. Uh, if you're new to the channel here on YouTube, be sure to hit subscribe. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify, hit subscribe, follow, like, a rating, uh, a review, whatever they have there. Different ones have different things. I can never remember. Uh, but if you'd leave a rating or review on there, that would be awesome. Uh, you know, if you've actually listened to it, of course. Uh, it'd be awesome to get your feedback on there, and it definitely helps there as well. Um, but I appreciate you coming by and let me tell my story today. Um, let's see, what's next? Yeah, so we'll be back here next Thursday for more Merge World, and we'll talk about the epicness of this story. I feel really bad, because I made a mistake in the story telling it. That was a big mistake. That I'm going to have to fix. I'm going to have to change something to fix it. I can't go back and change it because it'll change too much stuff. Um, so that's something I have to edit in the future. I'm going to have to figure out a way to rewrite a piece of something that happened. Um, and I feel bad because I'm afraid it's not going to be as cool like that. I feel silly now because it just dawned on me how big of a mistake I just made in this entire story. Son of a bitch. Um, I'll tell you what the mistake was. I don't mind. Lucas did not come. It wasn't Lucas that came. I, gave, I, I put the wrong person in there. And I just realized it wasn't Lucas that was there. <sighs> it was not Lucas. Lucas didn't come. They didn't, she didn't bring any protection at all this time. It was just the four of them, not Lucas. 
son of a bitch. That is going to make problems in the future. Oh, well, I'll have to figure it out. Um, but yeah, sorry about that. It wasn't until that last minute that I realized it wasn't Lucas that came. But I'm not going to go back and change everything we talked about today, even though Lucas didn't do a huge thing. It was somebody else that was supposed to be there, not Lucas. Oh, well. All right, well, uh, again, thank you all for coming. I have to figure out whether I'm going to have to backstep myself and alter it in the next one or, or try to correct the mistake. I'm not sure. I'll have to look into it. Uh, but we will see. Um, but either way, I appreciate that you have come uh, and listened to my tale. Um, as always, uh, I will be back again tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a four-hour satisfactory stream. Uh, and then I will be back again tomorrow night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for Sky Factory 4. That'll actually be the schedule both tomorrow, Friday, and with tomorrow, which is Friday, and Saturday. So the next two days, we got both streams. Um, but hopefully, you're enjoying the story, and you'll come back next week and figure out how I've either gone back and changed everything I just said or fixed it. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Uh, but I appreciate you giving me some time. I hope you all have yourselves a wonderful evening. As always, special thank you to my members. Uh, for your constant and steady support of the channel. It is greatly appreciated, as well as to the wonderful people who donate and tip. I appreciate uh, your support of the channel in that way. Uh, but even if you're just here to listen, I appreciate that you're just here. and Click the like button. It does more than you will ever know. And, of course, an extra special thank you to my moderators, who sometimes I get to poke with a cliffhanger in just vengeance for the treatment that I receive during spinning the wheel. So you, you all have yourselves a wonderful evening. I'll figure out how to fix what I did, and we will talk about that next Thursday. All right? You folks have yourselves a wonderful night.